forgotten song from the 80s, Paul, Pe- Paul Carrick, Don't Shed a Tear, from 1987. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friend Show. This is being broadcast March 3rd, 2015, near 7 p.m. Started late tonight because the No Fraud Online Poker Room has unfortunately gone down. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I didn't think I'd get in trouble for running a free money online poker room where you can't buy in, you can't lose money, and, you know, you, you, the only thing you can do is make money. But apparently I'm violating some gaming statutes because I'm accepting free roll donations, so people are paying money. It's not just my money. So what happened today was uh, the California Gaming Commission busted down my door and uh, took all my equipment, including the No Fraud Online Poker Room. <laughs> hey, it's not funny. That's not funny. So um, I'm going to be changing the date of the show next week. I really am, uh, because I'm taking a flight to a certain Caribbean country that I'm not going to name right now. Okay, that's not what happened. What really happened is a more embarrassing story. You ready? I forgot to pay... For the domain name. <laughs> the No Fraud Online Poker Room runs on pokerfraudalert.org. And of course, the main site is pokerfraudalert.com. The only thing pokerfraudalert.org does is run the No Fraud Online Poker Room. And when I heard it was down today, I blamed poor Bellybuster, who it wasn't reachable because he's in England and it's eight hours later over there. But it was not his fault. It turned out that I forgot to pay for PokerFraudAlert.org, but there's even a worse part of this whole thing. It wasn't so much that I forgot, but that I was putting it off because I didn't like the renewal rate that GoDaddy offered me. (laughs) So I was trying to find a better rate, which I've been successful every year, but uh, this year... I cannot find such a rate, and I'm like, well, maybe I should switch it to a different registrar, and then I forgot about the whole thing, and here we are. So uh, I had to take a little time before the show to adjust some things so you can still play on there. So the room actually works. You just can't get through it. You can't get to it through PokerFraudAlert.org. And the way you do it is you go to the top of the screen, you click on No Fraud Online Poker Room, and you click the link there, and it will give you the proper link to get into the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Uh, it's possible some of the artwork on the room will not work. Like, I, I don't know, maybe you'll open up a table and you won't see the right artwork, but it should be functional, and I'll get this taken care of completely before next week. This blindsided me, like, minutes before the show. So I apologize, but at least it will work. I have no co-host tonight. I am Todd Dandruff with Tell Us, if this is the first time you're listening to the show. I have a revolving door of co-hosts, but uh, tonight nobody walked through that door. Even our permanent guest host could not make it, so I will be doing the show by myself. Uh, to show you what confidence some potential hosts have in tonight's material, uh, Weissman volunteered to be a co-host and then unvolunteered when he heard that today's material, today's agenda was going to be boring. <laughs> That really happened. You can laugh at it, but it really happened. So this is the leftover show. On Thanksgiving, I bet a lot of you 
save food. There's always like a gigantic feast for Thanksgiving, and whoever's preparing the meal always makes too much. That's very common for Thanksgiving meals. And what you end up doing is instead of tossing it in the garbage, you save it, and you end up eating uh, a lot of turkey and cranberry sauce over the following week that comes after Thanksgiving. Similarly, this show last week had too much on the agenda. It had several long segments. It had a segment about uh, the Seals with Clubs fiasco. It had a segment uh, with that uh, pickup artist guy who uh, was still a virgin. And uh, it had this long segment with our co-host, Hot Like Sauce, and his ex-girlfriend and his sister all arguing in a very Jerry Springer-like setting. So between all that, we hardly had time to talk about anything else, and I had to cut off most of the topics and just not do them. So I was looking this week, and I go, you know what? We don't have that much to talk about this week that's new. We really don't. I was just going to like forget about those topics, but there is not that much this week. So I'm going to repurpose last week's topics, not the ones I talked about, but the ones I did not talk about, and uh, use them for this show as well as some new things that have come up since then. But that was enough to turn off Weissman to not do that. You know, uh, Jay Searles22, I see, is in the chat room. He's been trying very, very hard to troll me both in the chat room and on the forum recently, including about this radio show. So uh, if Jay Searles would like to call in, uh, he's welcome to. The phone number is 775-372-8355. 775-372-8355 is the phone number. You can also reach me on the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70, old 70s rotary telephone that sits on top of Mount Charleston near Las Vegas. It really does. It forwards to me wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808-702. 430-1808. Some people think I'm kidding about the Mount Charleston line, but you can look it up. It really is located in Mount Charleston, and it does forward to me wherever I am. No matter what you call, make sure to show your caller ID or you will not get through. If you get a busy signal, it means that you did not show your caller ID properly. So f- figure out on your phone how to show your caller ID. If I don't answer, it just means I'm busy. Try back in 15 minutes. You can text me during the show. That's the most common way people get a hold of me during the show and after the show and before the show. In fact, yesterday when I was fixing the Poker Fraud Alert server, if you remember last week we had a lot of server issues, this week everything works fine it's because yesterday I worked on fixing it. While I took Poker Fraud Alert down, I actually gave the public the same phone number, 775-372-8355, to text me if uh, not having Poker Fraud Alert up was affecting their lives, and they couldn't stand it. So at least they could talk to me if they wanted to. And I actually did get some texts. So 775-372-8355 is the text number. I will read your text on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. I will respond to all texts even after the show, even days later. So I'll even read some of them right here. Let's see. This is since the last show. Hot Like Sauce texted me and asked, how did I do as a co-host no wrong answer? Well, I don't believe there's no wrong answer. If I told him he sucked, he'd probably be unhappy. But I, I enjoyed having him on here. I especially enjoyed having the segment where his sister and uh, his ex-girlfriend came on. It was a little bit crazy, but it was real. It was, uh, you know, a lot of Jerry Springer, if you don't know, is fake. Most of it is fake. These are mainly actors you're watching there not people with real problems, and even the ones that are real are playing it up for TV. But this was not played up. This was totally real. 
the animosity you heard between his ex and his sister was very real. You were hearing like a family fight here on Poker Fraud Alert. Something I wouldn't want to do every week, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, even my parents were listening last week. I didn't know this, but they were listening last week. They sometimes listen, and they even found it interesting. So you know if my parents found that segment interesting, uh, <laughs> it was a good segment. So uh, the, uh, the answer to you, Hot Like Sauce, was I thought you did a good job. I, I know it was your first time doing this, but I enjoyed having you on here. So thank you for coming on. That was a text I got from him. A day after the show. Um, let's see here. From the 734 area code, good show, Druff. That was last week's. Thank you. Uh, from the 562 area code, sorry that I'm two shows late. I'm just catching up in the archives. Doyle Brunson's comment is Texas slang. When he says since, he means because. And he's referring to the statement of since I was in track, Bruce Jenner was a hero of mine. So I made fun of Doyle about this claiming that Bruce was his hero when he was in track, when he's much older than uh, than Bruce is. And obviously when Doyle was in track, Bruce was still in diapers. So Bruce was not his hero when he was in track. But uh, this guy's pointing out here from the 562 that he just means because. So he said I should read it like, because I was in track, Bruce Jenner was a hero of mine. Okay, you may very well be right. Of course, that's referring to when uh, Doyle Brunson was bashing Bruce Jenner's sex change on uh, Twitter and saying that uh, he was no longer his hero because he's getting sex change. S-Double was asking... Uh, let's see here. Never mind. That, that was not S-Double. Someone talking about S-Double. Uh, Hot Like Sauce also uh, texted me saying, let's have a double dose of sauce crowd favorite... Sauce's prison stories had about four people private message me to cut you off last week and tell them. All right, yeah, towards the end of the show, Hot Like Sauce, if you're listening, you can call in and uh, tell us your prison stories. <laughs> That'll give me a lot of credibility as a radio host for a no fraud, a poker fraud advocacy, not advocacy, a, a poker fraud watch show, poker fraud alert radio, uh, to have a guy who's been in jail four times as the co host, but. That's what we had last week. From the 816, I think this is from Jay Searles himself, saying, uh, Jay Searles as a co-host would be God. Well, call in then. I mean, you're not going to be the co-host, but you can call in. I said that. Pretty sure that's you, because I think that's your area code. From 951, all hail Jay Acosta. Jay Acosta is very proud that he brought the SEAL story to Poker Fraud Alert. We would have found out anyway, but it is his thread that's running like 50 pages, so... Good for you on that one, I guess. From the 702, this is last night when the site was down. I'm lost without Poker Fraud Alert. And I said, understandable, but it's back now. And he said, thank you, Poker Fraud Alert customer support. So I'm glad to be of service. I will not outsource Poker Fraud Alert customer support. I guarantee if you ever call in, you will get me and not someone in India or the Philippines. And as you see, I'm already getting rave reviews for my customer support. Uh, Tonight we have a free roll. For $69, and I was afraid we would not have it at all because of the situation with the domain. And I, I could have just rebought the domain right there, but I, I don't think it would have regenerated in time. So, yeah, it's actually a $69 free roll. $69. $69! Yeah. Bill and Ted telling us about the $69 free roll. And 
Here's how it shakes out. First place will be $34. Second place, $20. Third place, $10. Fourth place, $5. I will send this to you by PayPal, bank transfer, Bitcoin. Yes, the Bitcoin's back. Cash or check. PM me or email me after you win to claim your prize. The prizes here were donated. I did not donate my money for this, but the donations came from SMI Florida, 10 bucks. He also gave 20 last week. I appreciate that. The Spartan gave $29. Even if you don't like him on the forum, the, he was generous this week here on the show giving $29. Hockey Guy gave $21. I Am Greek donated $9 to round it out as $69. So uh, once again, 34, 20, 10, and 5 are the prizes. It'll be in the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Make sure to follow the proper link off the No Fraud Online Poker Room at the top of the screen. It's No Limit Hold'em. takes place at 7.40 p.m. Pacific Time. There is late registration for 25 minutes. To qualify for the free money, you need a Poker Fraud Alert forum account dated 2013 or earlier. If you do not have a Poker Fraud Alert forum account dated 2013 or earlier, email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and ask me for an exception now and forever to play this free roll. But to get that exception, you have to convince me that you have been listening for at least three weeks by telling me things you've heard on the show that are not in the official show description. And I think that's it before the agenda. So let me give you the little agenda here, and then I will get going with the material. Some of you remember that I talked about a scam called Poker by Proxy last year. This was a scam that involved the brilliant idea to give unknown people on the internet money to play poker for you, and then they will pay you if they win. <laughs> now you may say, wait a minute, that's staking. No, it's not staking. It's just giving money to people. You don't know who they are. You have no way to watch them play. You have no way to verify anything that they tell you is true. You just give them money and hope they pay you. This re was really a thing last year. And uh, people, mostly those in the Bitcoin community, fell for it. And poker by proxy disappeared into the sunset with those people's money and Bitcoin. Well, we, have a now, we now have a more advanced version of the same scam. I don't think it's done by the same people. But a very similar scam, which is called Poker Automatic. I'll describe what's going on with that and why it's a more complicated scam, and I'll play you some testimonials of people who claim that this is something wonderful and that Poker Automatic is making them all kinds of money. Daniel Negranu, he always pipes off with his opinion, and sometimes it's well-received, sometimes it's not. This time he was giving his thoughts on who should and should not be banned from the World Series of Poker based upon their past actions in the poker community. I'll read you what he had to say, and we will cover that as one of the topics tonight. We were going to do it last week. That is a leftover topic. Next one is not a leftover topic. A Pennsylvania bill has been introduced to bring online gaming to the state, so we may have a fourth state soon with legalized online poker, in addition to New Jersey, Nevada, and Delaware. Pennsylvania is bigger than all of those states. Pennsylvania is a pretty big state. There's only a few states that are bigger than Pennsylvania. Uh, off the top of my head, I believe those states to be New York, California, Texas, and 
maybe Illinois. I'm forgetting if Illinois is or isn't bigger than Pennsylvania population-wise. But that'd be pretty big for a major state like Pennsylvania. Oh, Florida's bigger too. Forgot Florida. Can't forget Florida. So that'd be a pretty big thing for a state like Pennsylvania to get online gaming. Not just online poker, but all online gaming. We'll talk about what's going on there. Well, I've bashed the PPA before on the show. I even had uh, PPA Vice President Rich Muni on this show and uh, argued with him back and forth about the PPA. I've gotten easier on the PPA. This is the Poker Players Alliance that advocates for online poker to be legalized. And you may say, well, what issue could you possibly have with that? And I don't. I think it's a great thing that there is a group that advocates for legalized online poker. I just haven't approved of everything they've done and the ways they've gone about doing it. But for the last two years, I've had less of an issue with them. Uh, In fact, I even gave them credit for joining the fight against lock poker. A little bit too late. In fact, a lot too late, but at least they did it. At least they got involved somewhat. That was one of my criticisms, that they watch all these scandals occur and claim it's not their business and let their members lose money. But I'm not going to talk about that again. I haven't talked about them in a while. I did quickly mention them when discussing the RAWA bill that uh, Sheldon Adelson was trying to get passed to ban all online poker in the United States. And uh, I had criticized the PPA for taking credit for stopping it last year when I had believed that it was really Ron Paul's doing and not the PPA's. So, the PPA's vice president, Rich Muni, is angry at me right now. He's angry at me. He gets angry at me pretty often. But we we were on okay terms for about two years. But uh, Rich Muni is angry again and called me out on his Facebook after I posted just a little comment, not even a critical comment. I I posted uh, a little image that was actually making fun of Mason Malmuth on Facebook And he went off on me. Not Mason, but Rich. I'll tell you why he's unhappy. And uh, what he wants the people of Poker Fraud Alerts to understand. So I'll give his side here. Michael the Grinder Mizraki is getting involved in another site. He doesn't exactly have the best site selection when it comes to who he uh, is sponsoring. Or being sponsored by, should I say. Uh, he was involved with Full Tilt. He was involved with Lock Poker. Uh, he was even involved with one other site that I'm forgetting that also failed. But uh, every site Michael Mizraki gets involved with has some kind of scandal. He doesn't cause the scandal. He doesn't partake in the scandals. But he uh, he definitely will put his name on anything that will pay him. Well, he's got a new site now called uh, Blast Longer. And Blast Longer is a last longer bet site. I'll describe what that's about and raise some questions about it. Not sure if you should use this site just yet. Jason Somerville has really burst upon the poker scene. Uh, He went from a poker player that was only known as being the first out gay male poker pro to someone who has become a beloved figure not finger. I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't talk about him being the first out gay and then say he's a beloved finger. <laughs> but, uh, he's become a beloved figure in online poker because, uh, or not just online poker, poker in general. He has a podcast. 
He broadcasts his play on Twitch. Everybody loves Jason Somerville. In fact, when they had the Bluff Awards for the Best Poker Podcast, where Poker Fraud Alert came in fourth out of fifth of the nominated podcasts, the overwhelming winner was Jason Somerville. Everyone loves him. Well, he's now a Poker Stars team pro, and he's going to do something pretty extreme and pretty amazing to kick this off regarding broadcasting. I'll tell you about that. Katie Dozier complained on her blog about the way women are being treated by poker stars. That's another topic from last week. I'll get to that this week. The Aviation Club de France, a poker room that has been open since 1907, has closed down. It got raided five months ago. There were some questions as to whether it would ever open again. It is officially shut down. We'll talk about what happened there. Finally, if we have time tonight, I'll give my editorial that I also meant to do last week. More about kind of last week's topics. There has been some talk recently that the raids and busts against online poker sites and their payment processors are indicative that we live in a police state in the United States, that these raids are a terrible thing and a miscarriage of justice. Is that true? Or are these raids justified? I will talk about that on the editorial. 775-372-8355 is the phone number. And uh, you can text me. You can call me on that number. And you can go chat in the chat room if you want to interact with the audience. But keep in mind, if you chat in the chat room, you have to have a flash-enabled device to see it and... I probably won't see what you're typing. Because I, it's hard for me to watch that while I'm doing the show. In fact, I'm kind of hesitating now because I'm being sent uh, some other messages through Skype of someone who wants to tell me something. There's a lot going on here. Uh-oh. I, I, I just opened the chat room, and Hockey Guy is asking, is the site fucked again this week? That's a bad question. I hope we're not having problems here. Uh, this is the big test, really, the radio show, whether that will bog down the server. That's what did it last week because uh, I think we were having corrupt database issues. So I rebuilt the database. No, it looks okay. looks okay to me. It's not, it's not running as well as it always did, but, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> that was Benjamin coming in. I don't know if you guys heard that. For some reason, Benjamin wanted to come into the radio studio, then he closed the door. I, I was going to put him on, too. All right, let's get to the uh, first topic. Yeah, that's crap. Hockey guys claiming there's a big problem. Everybody else saying it's okay, though. I'm gonna, at the risk of creating really bad radio, I'm going to take a look for myself. No, it looks okay to me. I think it's good. I think Hockey Guy is having problems with uh, his Canadian internet. Okay, uh, Crow Diddley is saying that it's uh, hanging a little bit and slow. But uh, I'll have to look again, see if there's anything further I can do. I'm looking at the way the site's performing, and, and honestly, it's not performing as well as it had prior to having these problems begin, but uh, it's not a disaster like last week. It's kind of in between, so I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. These, these things are so hard to diagnose. But I'll try a few other things. So let's get going here. I don't want to make this into tech talk. 
So the first topic is the new scam called Poker Automatics. And this was brought to us actually by Seriously Serious. If you go to PokerAM.com, you know, like AM and PM, PokerAM.com, you will see Poker Automatics. And uh, you may wonder, what is Poker Automatics? What does that even mean? Well, I will explain it to you. What is Poker Automatics? Well, according to their website, Poker Automatics is a system that will change your life. Poker Automatics is an automatic system for gaining guaranteed passive income from online poker. Sounds good. Wow. Passive income. That means you don't have to play, right? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, without human participation. Wow. Pretty impressive. You don't need any experience or skill to play poker. Forget about the risks. I mean, that sounds good for a lot of listeners here who are not great poker players. Deal with your favorite things, enjoy life, and entrust money management to robots. Yeah, what could go wrong there? Robots, which have been earning daily profit from online poker for more than three years. Create an account, make a deposit, and watch the sum in your account growing every day without your participation. Withdraw profits in any convenient way at any convenient time. This sounds great, right? Yeah, down, down, down is the more uh, apropos statement here. So what is Poker Automatics? They're claiming that they are a bot network. Now, what is a poker bot? Most of you know what that is. That is an automated program that plays online poker and pretends it's a human player. Bots are not allowed on poker sites, but it's tough for some sites to figure out if a bot is playing or if a human is playing. The more advanced sites, like PokerStars, have a lot of methods to determine it, but the lesser sites, a lot of them don't, and a lot of them count on players reporting bots to them to do anything about it, and even then, often they don't do anything about it. So Poker Automatics is claiming that you won't be playing poker. You're going to be giving them money. Your money is going to be funding their network of poker bots. And then the poker bots will make money for sure. And then you can withdraw your profits. So it's like a can't miss, uh, a can't miss proposition. Now, they are claiming that they've already had big investments to their little scheme here, which has existed since August of 2014, but I just came into awareness about it this week. Scrolling at the bottom of the sites are some stats. Total bot accounts, 773. They claim the top investor invested $72,613 into it. They have an affiliate, they claim, who gave 812 referrals. Uh, they claim they've they have uh, fifteen thousand seven hundred twenty nine investors and have raised over one point five million dollars, 
And that so far, $3.5 million has been withdrawn. So this sounds like a great opportunity. You win every day. $2 million has already been made in a short time. You don't have to play. You can just relax and do what you want and just money comes in. You just send them money and they send you back more money. Who could argue with that? Uh, if you haven't guessed by now, it's obviously a scam. But I, when I first glanced at this, I thought they're just collecting money for some people, and, you know, from some people, and then uh, you know, once they get enough, just run off with it. But it goes deeper than that. They have a complicated affiliate program. They have people making video testimonials. They have people who are, quote, representatives around the globe. So let me list, read you a list of uh, – a partial list. I'm not going to read the whole thing – of representatives around the globe. I'm not sure what these representatives do, but uh, these are their representatives. In Austria, you have a guy named Paul. In Bangladesh, a guy named Rafi. In Belarus, you have Alexandra and Igor, nice uh, Russian names. In uh, Brazil, you have Luis and Rodolfo. In Canada, you have Bob and one other guy who goes by a, uh, a screen name. In China, you have a lot of guys. Uh, Kavan, Chen Lu, Hong Wei, uh, Leng Hul. Cyprus, you have David Vonti. France, you have Bruno Lovazone. Germany, you have Alex and Davis and uh, Ulrich and... Uh, Greece has, has someone. Uh, Natasha Wong in Hong Kong. You have a bunch of guys in India, including Amunala, Naresh, Pushkar, Samgram, and Suresh. And what would a country-by-country country list of representatives be without people from the fine nation of Algeria? <laughs> I think that's good We also have two from Nigeria <laughs> Nigeria I'm sure you can trust them We have Bankole Alufemi And Kayude Paul And uh, Kayude Paul Speaks English Yoruba Or Yoruba And Pidgin He even speaks Pidgin English I, I would love to call uh, you know, I think we are going to call him. I'm going to call him. I- I'm just going to call him right now. I- he has a phone number up here. A lot of these guys have phone numbers. I actually want to call up uh, Coyote Paul. I'm going to do it right now and speak Pigeon English to him. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to speak uh, Pigeon English. This is going to cost me money, this call. But uh, I will try anyway. Probably going to waste money on this call. Probably won't get through. Uh, let's see here. Not easy to call Nigeria. All right, let's try the number. Ring. 
I hate those foreign rings. I like the U.S. rings so much better. I've always hated the boop. It drives me up the wall. Sounds low-tech to me. I like our ring better. It sounds cool. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me, sir? Hello? Yeah. Uh, Is this uh, Coyote Paul? Yeah. Yes, um, I'm calling about uh, Poker Automatics. Um, I'm interested, and I saw your um, your phone number is listed on this site. Um, can you uh, can you give me some information about it? I think it's a good program. What was that? It's a good program. It's a good program. All right. So, how how does this work? Uh, you know, I, the reason I called you, you're in Nigeria, and I'm, I'm in England, but the, the reason I called you is that I had a splendid business dealing with another gentleman in Nigeria last year. He sent me some emails, offered me some things. I accepted. I sent him some money. I'm going to be getting millions of dollars uh, sent to me uh, very soon. So um, I thought if, since I had a good dealing with another gentleman from Nigeria that I would call someone else in Nigeria, and I saw your phone number right there. So um, can you tell me about Poker Automatics? What, how would you describe it to me? Well, so far I've been with them for like five months now. Yes. And for for five months, non-stop till date, I've been paid every day. I mean, every single day, including Saturdays and Sundays. Really? So, so even on Saturday and Sunday, I can I can sit there watching the telly and and doing nothing else, and and money will just roll into my account. Is this true? Nothing. Money goes into your account every day without doing anything. Wow. All you need to do is just deposit some money. All right, now here, here's something I was a bit confused about. See, I saw they were asking for deposits here to um, to Poker Automatics, but I wasn't clear. When I put my money in there, um, is my is that money also available to be withdrawn at any time, or is what happening? Am I giving them the money and then they they take it and then at that point they start paying me? Like, uh, can I take out my no. original investment, or do they just uh, do they take that in um, and that's not withdrawable? It yeah, it depends on the. The, the program. There's some that, that lock your money for 45 days. Uh-huh. There's another one that lock it for 60 days. After 60 days, they release it to you. You can make it go after 60 days. So is, is, there any program, they, is there any program where I can have my money locked for zero days, or does it always have to be locked for a minimum of 45? Okay, it is possible, really, to lock the money for one day. There are programs that pay you your money back after one day. You do them. They give you a certain percentage after one day. Well, out there, one of the very, very, very good programs out there now that you can invest in and go and sleep is program. It's mm-hmm. a very good program. All right. Now, I've got another question for you. Um, uh, what sites are these robots playing on? Which poker sites are they using? The robots, right? Yes, yeah. But where, where are they running the robots? Which poker sites are being used for this? Where are they playing? Of course, they, they, they have boots, really. They, have, they, they, they mention it there, like Poker 888 and some other ones. They actually, they're actually in those uh, Poker boots, and there are so many companies that they're investing according to their website. Really. No, no, no. I'm asking, where, where are the bots playing? Where are, they, where are they actually playing poker? Where are these bots actually playing poker? Sincerely, brother, I really don't know the details. I don't understand the dynamics. I don't know much about poker 
All I know is I've invested with them and up to this, every day, they give you money. All right, and uh, uh, so what do you do as a representative? So since you're you're you know you're not directly associated with them, why is your phone number up there? What do you do as a representative for the company? All right, what I do basically is it. I invested some money with them because they have been paying me over time. You know, yes. and uh, I found out that it's an opportunity to you know generate some money. I refer my friend around here, I tell people around me that this is what I do. And I have proof. Look at what they paid me so far. This is the proof of payment. You know, people around me can see, not only telling them by mouth, they can see what I'm generating on a daily basis. But, know, but what, do you do, what do you do as a representative? Though? Do you, you refer people there? Is that what you're doing? Yes, I refer people. I talk to people. Okay. I show them my account. They see the way I'm earning. You know, they see the money I earn every day. Of course, they, they are motivated. All right, they okay. want to invest so that they can make some money. All right, now, I'm going to ask you another question, and I'd like you to answer me, not in English, but in pidgin. Could you do that, please? Okay. I'm, okay, I'm going to have you say, I'm trying to practice my pidgin. I'm trying to learn how to speak pidgin, and I'm not too good at it quite yet. Um, my, my next question is, um, and remember, answer, answer to me in pidgin here. Um, how much are you getting paid every day? Uh, it depends on your investment. Presently, I get paid six, between six and eight dollars. Okay, then they pay me between eight, six and eight dollars every day now. That doesn't sound like pigeon to me. It sounds like English. It doesn't sound like English. They they pay me between six and eight dollars every day. Now, which are they paying me that presently? Since I. Uh, from the day I started investing with them, they paid me between six and eight dollars. Okay. <laughs> All right. So between the six and eight dollars every day. All right. Now, um, uh, I have a question for you. Just a personal question for you. Have you ever been involved with the gentlemen who uh, send out the emails um, from Nigeria that, um, that that tell people that um, they need if they send some sort of money that um, you can get them millions of dollars. Can you, do, you, do you do that over there? I know that's a big business over there in Nigeria. Do you, have you ever done that before? It, listen, it's not everybody here that is calm, you know. There are people that are not legitimate, but they are still very good people around here. There are people that do pure legitimate businesses online. So, so you're you telling know, me that you're, you you're saying you you don't do yeah. that. You, you're you're saying there's others who do that, but you you've never been involved in that sort of thing. It's not everybody. It's not all Nigerians that are bad. You know, it's not that you have bad people over there. You know, there are bad people everywhere, but you still have good ones. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. you can actually do a legitimate business and then make some good money for it. So why start using your name? Why do you have to go to the extent of you know? Sending cameras to visit people. No, we don't. I don't do that. All I do is I do some little investments. I walk in. The, I walk to. Are you getting it? All right. Um, Part time business. If you, you if you if you make a whole lot of money at this, are you going to move out of Nigeria? Or are you just going to stay there and just become like the richest man in Nigeria? Say that again, please. If if you do very well, if you continue to make a lot of money every day from uh, from Poker Automatics, are you going to move out of Nigeria to somewhere else, like England perhaps, or are you going to stay there and just be the like really rich guy in your town? 
Well, presently I'm still in Nigeria, and um, I cannot run away from Nigeria. This is my home. It's your home. All right. That's uh, you know. all right. Well, for now, I'm still in Nigeria. All right. So, so okay. If I'm interested in signing up for this, what do I do at this point? I've got to go here, but um, what should I? I would like to sign up through you. Can you please give me the? Uh, what should I do next to sign up? Of course, um, you, you just click on my name, and it will take you. Just click on my name to take me to to take you to my referral link, and you you register. You know, you can actually. It is possible for you to register with the money on the website. They 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 there is a demo account there. You can run into the demo account of one thousand on the internet. Yes. And you see how it works. All right. Exactly how they you're going to be paid. You see it on the internet there. Okay, I'll go ahead and do that, and um, I'll, I'll click on your link. And uh, thank you very much. Uh, tell you hope pip pip, and let's get on with making some money. Well, well. I think it's a good deal. Just uh, give it a shot. Give it some uh, a shot with some money that you can afford to lose for now. Then as time goes on, you'll be convenient. You can check all the good, I mean, monitor sites. Check all the reviews. You can do your research extensively before you make any investment in any of the programs. All right. But for poker, I'm very sure. Very optimistic. It's a good program. Very optimistic. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, goodbye. All right, so it's hard to understand that guy, to be honest. And uh, <laughs> at least I got him to speak pigeon. At least I think I did. It was kind of hard to tell between the pigeon and his accent. But uh, the real guy in Nigeria, I really just called Nigeria right now on this radio show. I, I'm pretty sure this is the first poker radio show that ever called Nigeria. First time that's ever happened, I'm pretty sure. But uh, we just spoke to him, and uh, he seems very confident in the program. Um, from what I've seen, so the, it seems like the representatives are really just affiliates. That's what I was trying to understand. Because they have an affiliate program, but then they list representatives. I wasn't sure what the difference was, but uh, I guess we got our answer there from, what was his name again? Oh, Coyote Paul. <laughs> so, uh, now, if you are skeptical that this will actually make you money, here's a testimonial from a guy who calls himself Shimmy in the United Kingdom. Funky music. I'm Shimmy. Uh, I live in the UK and I'm I'm a photographer. I've been using Poker Automatic for quite a few months now. And, I mean, I have to say, it's very, very easy to use and it's it's really like it's great and it really it really works you know i mean a lot of these pro a lot of these um a lot of these online gambling things they they don't work they're scammy i have to say this this is really very good and i've made a ton of money off it already which again is a plus and even better i've I've, i'm able to spend so much more time with my family and i mean i mean that's probably the most important thing being able to spend time with my family but also earning money so I can live and, you know, live in luxury and nice and everything. So um, I just wanted to leave this little review um, and encourage you to give it a go because it, it genuinely works. Give it a go. That was Shimmy. And Shimmy was sitting there speaking to you with a computer behind him. You got to look at a computer that 
presumably had poker automatics in the background you couldn't really see as he told you about the money he's making. They have a whole lot of them like this. A whole lot of testimonials like this. Here's a guy who looks like uh, Poker Fraud Alert member DJ Chaps. I won't, I won't torture you with this whole thing, but uh, I'll show you another one. My name is Jonathan, and I'm from the United States of America. Oh, I'm wow. from Ohio. Ohio. I'm a manager at a local restaurant, so I'm super busy. I don't have time to do... I don't have time to relax at home so often, honestly. As much as I would love to, as much as I love poker, I just don't have the time. Oh. I'm on my feet all day. All I'm day. constantly running around. I leave early in the morning, and I don't get back till way late. I, to put it frankly, I wish I had time to play poker myself, but I don't. In fact, I, I wish I could, but I'm also afraid I might lose a little bit of money. I don't want to lose any money. I always enjoyed poker when I was just playing for fun, but I don't want to lose money. And people make mistakes, but machines don't. So when I heard about Poker Automatics, I kind of got a little interested, and honestly, it just blew me away. It's super easy. It's yeah, okay. So I'm not going to torture you with the rest of this. It goes on like another minute and a half. Uh, but basically, it's a whole lot of these, and uh, this caught the attention of Haley Hintz. She was reading on Poker Fraud Alert and saw it. And Haley is a very, very good investigative journalist. She is a very intelligent woman. She gets to the bottom of these things. And uh, she was interested in this story, especially because it was similar to poker uh, by proxy, which she also investigated. So she spent several hours looking into this last week, and she found that most of these testimonials were done by people for hire on a site called Fiverr.com. Now, Fiverr, that's Fiverr with two R's, is a list of... Tons of people who will do a whole lot of little tasks for you, mainly online tasks, for $5. And this includes making fake testimonial videos, uh, making any video you want. Uh, There's even a group of kids in Africa who will hang from a tree and chant whatever you want them to chant. And they'll make a video for you like that for $5. In fact, someone even used them to make fun of Jacep after he stole money from people on the site. So she found at least eight of them, there were like 25 testimonials, at least eight of them were Fiverr people. She matched them with their Fiverr accounts. I'm not sure how she did it, but she did. So for sure, if you have at least eight out of 25 testimonials being bought, then they've all got to be fake. Because if they had 10 real ones, they would post 10 real ones. They wouldn't insert eight fake ones along with them. So uh, they must have found various sources to make these testimonials, but at least eight of them were people who were paid five bucks to do it. Uh, these people clearly did not actually use poker by proxy, or not poker by proxy, but poker automatics. But wait, there's more. On a site that uh, people discuss things like this, called a, uh, this is called a high-yield investment program. H-Y-I-P. What the, most of them are scams. It's where you uh, invest something and you're supposed to get some kind of ridiculous guaranteed yield out of it that wouldn't make any sense in the real world. But people do it. And people think that uh, there's big business. There's big money to be made from a high-yield investment program. But uh, there is actually a 228-page thread. I think it's even longer now where 
people say that this is legit and people report that they are getting paid micro amounts of money. Now, they are uh, – this is on a site called moneymakergroup.com. And it really is filled with a bunch of suckers who just want to get rich quick. That really is who participates in the moneymakergroup.com forums. It's a bunch of guys uh, who stupidly think that they can give money to things like this and just have money roll in. Now, I don't know if our Nigerian friend here is in on the scam or if uh, he's semi-in on it, meaning he thinks it works but is exaggerating his numbers. Because I haven't heard of anyone making 6 to $8 a day. What you do have, you have like 228 pages worth of people saying that they are getting anywhere from 50 cents to $1.50 a day. Or Sorry, actually some people saying as low as 20 cents a day. So anywhere between 20 cents and $1.50 a day. And you can laugh at that saying that's nothing anyway. But think about it, it adds up. For a small investment, you get $1.50 a day. That's still like 500 bucks a year. It's more than 500 bucks a year if you get $1.50 a day. So why not? especially if it's guaranteed. The problem, of course, is that this is not true. Now, I believe that people are really getting paid at the beginning. That's why you have 228 pages of people, and each page is like, I don't know, 10 or 20 messages long. So you have thousands of people saying they're getting paid. But these are probably people getting paid at the beginning. These are probably people being enticed to invest more, where... Yeah, as you heard our Nigerian friends say here, uh, your funds are locked for a minimum of 45 days while they're paying you. So I'm guessing what probably happens here is people invest, their funds are locked. In the meantime, they're getting these micropayments, which uh, after 45 days are nowhere near approaching what they actually paid. Because even 45 days of $1.50 each is only like uh, 70 bucks. And that's if you get the maximum of $1.50, which is the biggest I saw reported out there. But I bet after that time, they encourage you to invest more or to keep your investment in, to keep the money rolling in. So people get greedy. So maybe they really are cashing people out who want out after 45 days. Or maybe they're not. Maybe they're stalling them in some way. Whatever it is, currently there's positive feedback because they're building the scam's credibility. And that that's one feature of a Ponzi scheme. A Ponzi scheme doesn't just go steal everyone's money. A Ponzi scheme uh, keeps sucking the money from new investors to pay the current ones, to make the current ones give it good word of mouth, when in reality the whole thing is smoke and mirrors and, uh, and the people at the top, especially the ones who created it, are making all the money. So uh, this also has an affiliate program says, for ordinary members, 5% of the profits of your first-level partners, 2% of your second-level partners, 1% of your third-level partners, and if you're a representative, which I guess is the super affiliates, like the guy we just talked to in Nigeria, uh, you get double that, uh, 10% for the first-level partners, 3% of second-level, 2% third-level. What they mean by level is uh, if you directly refer someone in your first level, you, know, you get 10% of their profits if you're a representative and 5% if you're an affiliate. Uh, but then if they refer someone, then you get you know, 2 or 3% from the person they refer. So this really is very pyramid scheme-like. And uh, they have a Twitter account, twitter.com slash pokerautomatics. The Twitter account was created in July of last year, and it's been updated daily 
since then. That's right around when that thread was started on that Moneymaker Group site. It has 24,000 followers, but Haley looked into it. It turns out most of them are fake accounts that were created in Russia. So they bought Twitter followers from someone in Russia. So the whole thing's obviously a big scam. And uh, let's see here. Let me go to their page and give you the various investment amounts that you can do. Let's see. Uh, you can donate. Oh, I see what they mean by levels. It's not what I was thinking. Levels, how much you've donated. I see. And they, and they tell you I hadn't found this page before. See, once again, I'm producing the show during the show. This is the deposit page explaining how long your money's trapped in there. So if you give anywhere between 30 and $299, I guess they don't want less than $30, but anything 30 to 299 you get uh, it's stuck in there for 30 days. Uh, 309.99 is stuck in there for 45 days. 1,000 to 29.99 is 60 days, all the way up to 50,000 or more, 180 days. Now you would say, wait a minute, why is your money stuck longer if you're donating more? And the reason for this is you get a higher share of their quote profits. So if you only do a level one deposit of 30 to $299, then you only get 40% of the profits generated with your money, and they keep the other 60. But if you give them 50,000 bucks, then they will pay you 80% of the profit that your money generates. So look what a great percentage you get. I, I'm going to send them $50,000 right now. <laughs> so, of course, the more you send, uh, the longer they keep it. And this probably gives them a longer time to stretch out the scam for people who really give them a lot of money. I don't believe necessarily that uh, $1.5 million has been deposited there. And if it is, this is a very, very lucrative scam. But I'm pretty sure that's a lie. But uh, I, I believe they really have some idiots sold on this. I, I don't necessarily think that Nigerian we spoke to was in on the scam. I believe these are idiots that they have signed up as affiliates. And a representative seems to be like a super affiliate who just claim the program works. And they refer more suckers there. And they're the suckers themselves as well. Obviously, what's eventually going to happen is this whole thing will disappear with everyone's money. We're trying to find out who's behind it. It does seem to be a foreigner. The domain PokerAutomatics.com was registered to a George Benson initially. Unfortunately, has a common name. Not sure if it's a real name, but that's who it was registered to a long time ago. And the registration changed in June 2014, and it is now registered uh, privately. So you can't see who it's registered to anymore. This George Benson may or may not be involved. It could be someone even that sold the domain to them or let it expire, and they took it over. But I have a feeling he's involved, if his name really is George Benson. Whatever it is, it's some kind of foreign site that is tricking idiots who are very hungry for guaranteed profits without playing poker. I don't have to tell you guys this, but it's obvious that if someone says, hey, give me money, I'm not going to tell you where I'm playing poker. Because you can't watch these bots play. You just have to trust that they're running a bot network that is playing with your money and winning every single day. And then they'll pay you for their winnings, whatever percentage is correlated to what you sent them. It is possible.
possible they have some poker bots. I, I read their FAQ, the Frequently Asked Questions. It's clear it was written by someone with good knowledge of online poker and how these bots work, but I'm not sure if I believe they even have bots. It is possible that they do have bots and they are using these idiots to fund the bots so they're not risking their own money. Because when you run bots, you're risking two things. One, the bot is going to lose, and two, that the bot's money will be confiscated if it is caught being a bot. They claim they have 573, actually I think 573, some large number of accounts they're running. So even if the bots get caught, they have so many others. I think it's also possible that those signing up for poker automatics are asked to create poker accounts. But that's just my guess. That uh, may not be happening. But uh, that may be a way for them to get legitimate-looking poker accounts. The reason they probably are not doing this is because this would give control of the accounts to the people who are investing in them, which I don't think they want. I don't think they want anyone having any control. So it's possible, but it's probably not happening. So I kind of take take back my guess. So there's a thread on the Poker Fraud Alert forum, Scam Scandals and Shadiness, about this. Check it out if you have any interest in this topic. It's an ongoing investigation by us and by Haley Hintz. So Haley agrees, like I think, that the payments that are being reported in that huge thread are legitimate but I don't think they're ever going to approach what the people actually deposited there. Even if a few people do make money there, one day this is going to vanish and it will all be gone. And Haley is still investigating. I will update you guys next week of anything further that I find. So moving on to the next topic, Daniel Negranu and his feelings about the World Series of Poker. Who should be banned from the World Series? And I'm going to read you what Daniel had to say about this. This is a blog he wrote on his site, fullcontactpoker.com, which actually used to kind of be a rival site to Never Win Poker, where a lot of us, including me, originated kind of a predecessor to Poker Fraud Alert in a way. Not full contact, but uh, never win poker. This is what Daniel wrote on February 20th. The World Series is just around the corner, and rumor is that we may see some faces we haven't seen there in a while. I've always been in the position that unless people have been found to actually cheat at poker, they should allow to attend. Cheating on your wife, your taxes, or borrowing money with no intention to pay aren't examples of actions that the World Series of Poker should persecute. If they did, man, we might see an 85% drop in attendance at the very least. Now, notice he's already excusing people who borrow without intention to pay back. Uh, Could this be because he is very good friends with, I don't know, Eric Lindgren? Could that be why? I think that's why Daniel is taking that particular point of view. But let's go on. He goes over several different cases of controversial figures in poker. Russ Hamilton and Mansoor Matlubi. I'm grouping these two together since they are guilty of the same crime, using a God Mode program allowing them to see their opponent's whole cards online, referring to UB. While this isn't a case that has been ruled on in court of law, the evidence is overwhelmingly one-sided that at the very least these two men were involved in cheating players out of millions. I will say Mansoor is still questionable what his role was, but Russ for sure. 
There isn't enough concrete evidence that these players have cheated at live poker. I've heard rumors, but they aren't enough to incriminate. The question is, should cheating at online poker cross over to the World Series of Poker, deciding if it will allow these players entry into their tournaments? This year, the World Series of Poker is offering an online poker bracelet, and while the cheating didn't happen on their site, should that matter? Also, what level of cheating is worthy of a ban? There are plenty of online players who have admitted to cheating or multi-accounting, but I don't think that warrants a ban from World Series of Poker events. Players like Dan Coleman and Justin Bonomo are just two examples of players who have admitted to multi-accounting in the past. I think what Russ and Mansoor did is obviously a much worse crime, and neither should be allowed entry into the World Series of Poker for life. Not that they care. Well, it's true. Mansoor is out of the country and probably is not coming back. And Russ, uh, he's never going to show up at the World Series. He's, uh, he knows he'll be harassed big time if he does and may not even be welcome there. They may quietly make him leave anyway. I agree. I I think since these two, especially Russ, since there's plenty of evidence that they cheated in poker and did so in a very brazen and ongoing long-term fashion, they should be shut out. I've always said that people who have been caught cheating in poker should not be allowed to enter poker tournaments. They should be shut out. You're caught cheating in one casino. You should be banned from all poker tournaments at all casinos. They should not let cheaters jump from one casino to another, getting banned, 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 and keep just moving along to where they can still play. They should get banned everywhere. There should be an agreement to ban them from all tournaments when they are caught definitely cheating. Not a suspicion of cheating, but a definite cheating that everyone agrees has occurred whether it's online or live, they should be banned. And it should be major instances of cheating. I don't mean multi-accounting or uh, things like that that are unethical but aren't direct cheating. I'm talking about direct cheating like looking at whole cards, like uh, sitting yourself at the same table with two players you know, that are both you, uh, collusion, anything that's directly cheating people. Chris Ferguson Daniel Legrand writes, at this point, it appears that Chris Fergus's role in the demise of Full Tilt was that of a board member. Once Black Friday hit, he has completely disappeared. No statement, no sight of the man in almost four years since that dreaded day. Based on what I've gathered, he was essentially MIA when Full Tilt was trying to find a buyer so they could pay back the players. That's been confirmed to me by several sources. He essentially hid under the covers, hoping it would just all go away. So does this behavior and lack of willingness to stand responsible for his role in the crash of Full Tilt warrant a World Series ban? No, I don't think so. I'm not pleased by how he handled things. Disappearing just never seems like the most responsible choice, but to my knowledge, Chris has never cheated anyone at the poker table. Well, I don't know if a guy agree on that one. Chris and Howard cheated in a different way. And he gets to Howard later. But, uh, They cheated in a different way in that they didn't cheat you at the poker table, but they cheated you by stealing your funds on their poker site. The people in charge of the Full Tilt board were the ones who did the stealing. That includes Ray Batar, Ray First, Howard Lederer, and Chris Ferguson. Someone who probably should have known but probably didn't is Phil Ivey. At least with him you can say, well, he was just apathetic and didn't know what was going on even though he owned a lot of Full Tilt. But these four were members of the Full Tilt board. They were the big four. They were the ones making decisions. They were the ones who either 
knew that the stealing was going on or should have known. It was their responsibility to safeguard that money, and they stole it. Stealing money that is being held for poker players is just as bad as cheating them at the table. At least when you when someone borrows from you and you knowingly lend the money and they don't pay you back, at least you said, okay, this person, I'm voluntarily, voluntarily giving them money and I'm trusting they're going to pay me back. And if they don't, well, you can say, well, at least you voluntarily gave them the money and knew you were risking that they may not pay you back. But I'm not defending that. But it's much worse when a site that is holding your money that you're playing poker with that's supposed to pay you has actually stolen the money and you're playing for meaningless chips. And that's just as bad as playing as a super user and cheating you that way. See, if I'm on UB and they are seeing my whole cards and beating me and I lose $20,000 thanks to that, it's the same thing as if I've won $20,000 and the site actually doesn't have my money to pay me and can't pay me and then disappears. It's the same thing. One way they stole the money that was uh, supposed to go to me that I won at the poker table. The other way, they cheated me to where I couldn't win the money. But either way, the people entrusted to offer a fair game and hold the money fairly have cheated me. So they're the same. So I think anyone who is shown to have stolen money like this through poker, anyone who's run a poker room that has stolen the money, they should not be allowed at these tournaments either. Again, because it's a poker crime. I'm not saying that you have to ban people from the World Series who've ever committed a financial crime or ever committed fraud. I'm not saying even that you have to ban people from poker who've cheated in other things. You know, uh, should we ban Alex Rodriguez from playing poker because he cheated at baseball by taking steroids? No. Uh, Two totally different things. But someone who's cheated at poker or stolen poker money that was on deposit should not be at the World Series of Poker, in my opinion. But Negroni disagrees. Then Annie Duke and Jeffrey Pollock, he writes about. I'm grouping these two together because of their association with the Epic Poker League, which defrauded players out of a guaranteed million-dollar free roll. Players ponied up their own money and other elite pros with the promise of added money being incentive enough to do so. To this date, I don't believe that any of the players who participated have been reimbursed, and I don't ever see that happening. Jeffrey was never a poker player anyway, but Annie used to play in the World Series events regularly. Since the fall of the Epic Poker League, she hasn't been seen around poker circles. So players are owed money, and these two were responsible to varying degrees for that. Should that warrant a World Series ban? As wrong as I think it is to even acknowledge this debt, or to not acknowledge this debt, or make any strides toward paying the players whole, I don't think it warrants a World Series ban, he writes. Not that it's directly comparable, but there are plenty of poker players playing the World Series that owe people money with no intention of ever paying. Add these names to that list if they ever decide to play the World Series again. Well, I, I kind of agree with him here. Because this is a little bit different. They weren't stealing money on deposit. They were running a league that was supposed to have a free roll at the end of it for a million dollars for the people who finished near the top. And they never held that free roll is basically what happened. So the people who played and expected that free roll because they were on top didn't get it. And that's terrible. And Annie should be ashamed of herself, but she has no shame, as should Jeffrey Pollock. He also has no shame. They also made a lot of money. They both made six figures out of this whole thing. But 
they were not holding money for everyone. They just made a promise, we'll hold this free roll. Well, what happened was the company failed. They didn't just shut it down to steal everyone's money. They didn't shut it down because they just uh, wanted to keep the million for themselves. They shut it down because the investment in the Epic Poker League was lost because the whole thing was an epic fail. And that's why it's gone. Now, it was very clear from the start that this thing was going to fail. And if they're going to promise this million-dollar free roll, they should have set that money aside to make sure it always occurs, no matter what happens with the Epic Poker League's success or failure. And in that way, it was terrible what they did to these players. And they really did screw these players collectively out of a lot of money. They screwed these players collectively out of... One million dollars. They really did. But this is not the same thing. This was a company that they were in charge of where the investment just ran out. They were never holding player funds, so that's different. I don't think they should be banned. I agree with Negreanu on that one. Howard Lederer, he writes about. As many of you likely know, I've been very critical of Howard and his handling of the uh, full tilt mess that occurred a few years ago. There's no question that he, the other board members, as well as the owners, were all at fault for full tilt not being able to pay back its players after Black Friday. Do I think it was a Ponzi scheme? That's an absurd notion. Do I think it was gross negligence by management? Absolutely. A lack of oversight allowed for Ray Batar to run the company into the ground. I've heard from various sources that it was not only Ray in over his head, he was flat out lying to the others, uh, other owners about the financial status of the company. Howard, for many years, was an integral part of operations at Full Tilt before stepping down at some point before Black Friday. Most people assumed that he was still running things, and Howard certainly played the part of the guy behind the guy, if you will. Once the news broke that Full Tilt was insolvent, based on sources I've spoken to, Howard spent every day trying to find a way to get players paid. Many of the owners didn't agree with the direction Howard wanted to take the company, but it seemed to be a consensus that Howard's main purpose and motivation was to get the players paid. In came poker stars to save the day, and players have been made whole as far as I'm aware. Uh, you know the rest, blah, 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 blah. Uh, uh, then he writes, So at this point, while you can like or dislike Howard Letter as a person, that is your choice, of course, I think it's clear that he should have every right to play in the World Series. Don't agree. Howard was on the board. If he did not watch Ray Bittar closely enough, that's his fault. But even if you want to say... Ray snowed Howard and the other board members and stole all the money while they didn't realize what was going on, which I can't see how one guy should be uh, given that kind of power. And he wasn't. I mean, the truth is uh, Howard could have looked at the financial at any time. But uh, a lot of times people don't talk about something very bad that happened at Full Tilt after Black Friday. And that is they went back up and claimed they had everyone's money and took deposits from rest of the world players. So they were robbing Peter to pay Paul. Now, Daniel's writing, I'm surprised he wrote this because he hates Howard, so he definitely wasn't trying to make Howard look good. I think Daniel's just kind of misinformed. He's saying Howard was trying to get the players paid back. Well, sort of. Howard was trying to make the company survive by lying to everyone about Full Tilt's financial status and encouraging people to deposit there believing that they had the money to pay everyone. They actually put a notice up on Full Tilt that they have everyone's money shortly after they went down, right when Black Friday hit. And that was a complete lie. They had just about no money. So Howard's solution was trick rest of the world players, you non-U.S. players, to put their money in there, believing that their money is safe, when in reality their money is being used to pay the players that they owe from the U.S. who can't play there anymore. So Howard's strategy 
was get the rest of the world players to deposit their money, steal their money, pay the people we've already stolen from without the rest of the world players realizing it, and then hope that they don't request their money for a long enough time until we can pay them too and hope nobody realizes it. So basically he wanted to steal to pay back other people they stole from. That is not someone who acted ethically. It was a shame for the U.S. players and for the existing players in Full Tilt, even not in the U.S., that their money was gone when Black Friday came down. Black Friday did not cause them to lose their money. Uh, They were broke. They had stolen their money. So Full Tilt stole the player money, and then Black Friday happened. They didn't have the money to pay the players who they needed to pay right away. And then their decision was to steal money from new players with new deposits to pay back the original players and pretend they never stole from them in the first place. That's awful. The ethical thing to do at that point is just to admit that you stole all the money and say you're sorry and shut the whole thing down or sell the company and pay them back with those proceeds as is what actually happened. So... Howard did this selfishly. Howard did not want to admit this had happened under his watch. And Howard did not want to lose his lofty position in full tilt. He didn't want to sell full tilt. He wanted to save it with the same smoke and mirrors that had kept it running despite stealing all the money for all these years. So I don't think he should be allowed either. So I don't think I agree with Daniel. It's about Annie and Jeffrey. Let's see what the chat room has to say about this. Uh-oh, did I? I think I kicked myself out of the chat room. Oh, no, here it is. Uh, let's see here. Matto saying, it would be interesting to see what would happen if Russ Hamilton registered for the World Series. I, I really have a feeling that they either have already banned him to where he can't register... Or if he did, they would quietly tell him, uh-uh, you can't play. It's going to make a spectacle. Uh, you have to understand the World Series of Poker is a brand. The World Series of Poker is a very valuable asset to Caesars. And the last thing they want to do is piss everyone off that they're letting a guy like Russ play. And they have a right to kick anyone out at any time for any reason. They do. Uh, the World Series at any point could decide they don't like me. They don't like that I'm criticizing them, which I do sometimes. And uh, they don't want me there. They could do that. I could not challenge it in court. I mean, I could challenge but I would lose. I would make a big deal about it if they did it. I would uh, make a lot of noise about it, try to make them look bad for banning me for no reason, but uh, they could. And there'd be nothing I could do about it other than complain. So definitely they can ban Russ Hamilton, and I don't think you're going to have a long line of people standing with Russ fighting for his right to play the World Series. I think they could ban him without much consequence. Uh, much like they could ban other people. Let's say there was a high-profile child molester who wanted to play there. Even though molesting children has nothing to do with the World Series, and there aren't even children at the World Series, they can't even be there. But uh, I'm sure if a high-profile child molester wanted to play and people complained, they'd probably get rid of him too and just say, we don't want you here. And I don't think there would be a lot of people trying to defend the child molester saying, oh, no, I think child molesters should be able to play here. I, I don't think you'd see a lot of people taking up that cause. So I think they would ban Russ Hamilton, or maybe you already have. In fact, I heard years ago that Russ isn't welcome there. I don't know if he's still not welcome, but I don't think he's even going to try. 
uh, Matto said if they start banning people for being internet nerds, then it would be a much softer field. <laughs> I, I'd be I'd be thrilled if they banned the internet nerds. I'd be thrilled if they banned all the uh, good online players. <laughs> it would be a lot easier to win there. That's for sure. All right, uh, let's move on to the next topic. The Pennsylvania online poker bill. Now, I know some of you are probably grabbing a pillow right now. You're like, oh, I don't want to hear about poker legalization crap. It's so boring. But this isn't really boring. This is about adding a fourth state to legalized online poker and the biggest state yet. New Jersey is a medium-sized state, and it's not doing that well over there. Delaware is a very small state, and it's doing terribly there. It's a joke. Nevada is a fairly small state, and it's not doing that well there either, even though Nevada has uh, a lot of gambling, obviously. So Pennsylvania has a large population, and I think it would really help the cause. I said years ago that the path to federal legalization of online poker is to have a lot of states legalizing it and having it go well over there. If online poker is legalized in various states and there are no scandals and no problems, then when a federal legalization is attempted, then they can point to that, hey, we've been doing it for a while and look how well it's going. Now, it hasn't gone well from a standpoint of how much money the operators have made of these poker sites, but it's gone well as far as there has not been a major scandal yet. So it's one thing to have successful online poker in Nevada or Delaware, where there's hardly any people. It's a little bit better to have it in New Jersey, which is a bigger state, but Delaware, not Delaware, uh, Pennsylvania has, let's see how many people, 12.7 million. That's their population, 12.7 million. It is ranked sixth in the nation behind California, Texas, Florida, New York, Illinois. I actually named them right at the beginning of the show off the top of my head. They're the sixth largest state population-wise, So, and almost fifth. They're almost identical with uh, Illinois, who has 12.8 million. To compare, New Jersey has 9 million. So we're talking about a state with 50% more people, approximately. A little bit less, but... Uh, Pennsylvania would be an interesting experiment. Now, they're not quite the population of California, like 38 million, or Texas of 27 million, or Florida with 20 million, but still, they're close to 13 million. And I think that would be an interesting experiment to see how well online poker would do there. And just adding a fourth state to the mix and the second semi-large state would be nice to have. The more large states that enter the mix, the more credibility it gets. I, I really think California will be the tipping point. Once it, once it comes to California and succeeds, or at least succeeds by not having scandals, I think then we will see a lot of different states legalizing it, provided that it does well enough to at least earn some money. If it's a total failure financially, it won't be legalized just because it won't be worth it to the states to do from a financial standpoint. The risk-reward, uh, it'll be too small on the reward side. But uh, there is a Pennsylvania bill that is uh, being proposed. Now, this is just a bill, so it hasn't gone anywhere yet. This is 
Bill 649, House Bill 649 in Pennsylvania. And uh, it has been introduced by a lawmaker in Pennsylvania named John Payne. And this would create a framework for the regulation of both online poker and online gaming, meaning casino games or whatever. They're not going to have sports betting, but it'll have casino games and it'll have online poker. Uh, This bill has a list of co-sponsors from both sides of the aisle, half Republicans, half Democrats. So this is good because you're not going to have a bunch of people on one side or the other voting against it because it's seen as either a Republican or Democratic bill. The one introducing it is a Republican, but uh, the co-sponsors are half Republican, half Democrat, nine and nine. So you've got overall 10 Republicans, nine Democrats for this bill there in Pennsylvania. So it's got a good chance to at least be seriously considered in the legislative session in Pennsylvania. And it's got an okay chance of becoming law. So they are also already making provisions in this bill to connect with other states. They're already realizing that even with their 13 million population, it's not enough. So they have this in the bill. Authorized interactive gaming, once fully developed, will allow persons in this commonwealth to participate in interactive gaming, not only with other persons in this commonwealth, referring to Pennsylvania, but also with persons in other cooperating United States jurisdictions where interactive gaming has been authorized. So they're saying if it's legal elsewhere, it'll be legal for Pennsylvanians to play against those people in those other states. So that's good news. Uh, I think that's really the future, is networking these sites with other sites in other states which are doing okay like the networking that's going to happen between Nevada and New Jer- or Nevada and Delaware is going to mean very little because Delaware has like 30 players on there I'm not even exaggerating it's like 30 people so adding 30 people to the Nevada player pool is not going to do very much but you combine like a Pennsylvania and New Jersey well now you've got a pretty large player pool now you have uh, over 20 million people you combine those two with California well now you've got near 60 million And that's already like a fifth of the United States population. So that's the future. And Pennsylvania is already seeing that they want to do this. They're seeing that this is something that's going to benefit them. And the current bill would be authorizing that. So uh, what's also interesting here is what they're going to do about the unauthorized sites. Like, let's take Bovada, for example. Right now you are allowed to sign up as a new player on Bovada, which is the biggest U.S.-facing online poker site, legal or illegal, you are allowed to sign up there as a Pennsylvania resident. I kind of wish we had Weissman on here, because he's from Pennsylvania. But um, this bill would make it illegal to operate any kind of online gambling site from Pennsylvania or to accept bets from people from Pennsylvania and provides for some pretty stiff penalties. Uh, a fine of between 75000 and 150000 if they're caught doing this for the first violation. And um, 
between $150,000 and $300,000 fine if they have a second violation. And uh, it also is uh, considered a felony. So they're going to be trying to clamp down at the same time on these unlicensed sites. And I have a feeling that much like uh, Bovada has bailed out of accepting new players from Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware, but apparently you can still play there if you have an existing account and you're from those states, but they're not accepting new players from those states. I'm sure they're going to opt out of Pennsylvania if this becomes law, which is in a way too bad for Pennsylvanians because they're the biggest site right now. But here's the thing that bothers me. I mean, what I just read you is standard, but here's what bothers me. Let's say you live in Pennsylvania and you choose to play on Bovada anyway after they pass this into law. The bill says this. If a person places a wager on an interactive game from a location which the activity is unauthorized, the person shall forfeit all entitlement to any winnings and the money associated with forfeited winnings. Wow. What? So they're saying that they are going to take your money that you went on Bovada if they catch you playing there. They're not going to put you in prison. They're not going to fine you. But if they catch you cashing out, they're going to take the money. And what are they going to do with it? They're going to put it in the Compulsive and Problem Gambling Treatment Fund for the state. So you're going to be funding Compulsive and Problem Gambling Treatment with your Bovada winnings if they pass this law. That's awful. The state should not be confiscating people's money for playing on these other sites. What the state should be doing is developing regulations that don't strangle their regulated sites and make them either unplayable or inferior to the competition. They should smartly regulate these new sites with light-touch regulation that would make them more appealing to play on than sites like Bovada. But if people still want to play on Bovada, don't take their money. That's really dirty. Go after the operators, but don't go after the players. I think it's really crappy that uh, they're going to punish anyone who continues to play on sites like Bovada by basically stealing whatever they win. And in case you think that's okay, in case you say, hey, look, you're, you're breaking the law, you know, you're you're not breaking the law, but you're uh, you're playing on a site that's breaking the law, so why should you gain from it? No other states are doing this. No other states are confiscating people's winnings from online poker sites. In fact, when Black Friday happened, the Department of Justice insisted that poker stars and the others pay the players. They didn't say, oh, the players don't get their money because they were playing on an illegal site. No, they wanted the players to get paid. The players should not have their money confiscated by the government or anyone else just because the site is unlicensed or unregulated, especially because some people may not even realize it. Some people who play on Bovada may just click on an internet ad and start playing there and don't even understand that it's not legal. So they definitely should not be taking people's winnings. That's a terrible part of that bill. I don't like that at all. The hearings for this bill have not been scheduled yet. But it'll probably happen soon. I will let you know if there are further developments with this. Uh, By the way, as a side note, Sheldon Adelson, who I'm going to talk about a little bit later in the show, uh, he does have a presence in Pennsylvania. He owns and operates the Sands Bethlehem Casino in eastern Pennsylvania. 
and he's, of course, very anti-online poker. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets involved with this as well. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the phone number. I'm uh, reading the chat room here. Frank Rizzo saying poker is a victimless crime. Yeah, it's... Uh, look, I understand why they're busting the operators. And I'll talk, that, talk about that later in the show. But the players should not be losing anything. The players should get their money. The players, even in the event these sites are busted and shut down, should get their money. That should be number one priority. The players should not suffer for this, as I said, especially because it's not even clear to all the players that these sites are operating illegally. It's not like Bovada says, hey, everyone, we're operating illegally. Do you wish to commit a crime by playing here? Yes, no. And the players are not even committing a crime by playing there, by the way. It is not illegal to play online poker. I've had people ask me before who don't really understand that. I've had people outside of the poker community say, hey, why did you appear on CNBC? Why did you appear on 60 Minutes and say, I'm an online poker player? Aren't you admitting that you broke the law? Aren't you afraid the police are going to come and put you in prison for that? And I said, no, because I'm not breaking the law. I would be breaking the law if I was operating one of those sites, not playing on them. So, I... I'm very against that part of the law, and I, I kind of hope it doesn't pass just for that reason alone. I, I don't like that precedent being set, and I, I definitely hope that does not show up in California. So now I want to talk about the PPA a bit. Uh, the Poker Players Alliance is a lobbying group that has existed for many years. They were originally funded by Full Tilt and Poker Stars to try to make online poker legal. They got a lot of money from from those two sites back when they were owned by two different entities to try to push for online poker legalization. And while I believe the members of the PPA, or the, uh, I shouldn't say the members, the officers of the PPA, like Rich Muni, I believe they really have a legitimate interest in seeing online poker legalized. I, I don't think these guys are necessarily corrupt or uh, you know, not really believing in what they claim to believe. I, I believe that they are really working to get this done. They believe in what they are working to do. But it's also true they were being used by these large poker sites who were giving them all kinds of money prior to Black Friday to get online poker legalized. And of course, the reason they did that was for selfish reasons. So their sites could be legalized. Poker stars in full tilt. And, of course, this created a conflict of interest to where the PPA would have to think twice about taking any actions back then that could negatively impact Full Tilt or Poker Stars. And that was one of my early criticisms of them. I didn't like where the money was coming from. But that's all changed because uh, now it's four years later since Black Friday. I'm not even sure where the PPA is getting their money these days. I know that Rich Muni has a paid position with them. His nickname is The Engineer because he used to be an engineer by trade. But Rich actually quit his engineering job to take a position at the Poker Players Alliance. And he's the most visible member. He's not the president of the PPA, but he's the most visible member of the PPA. And he does work pretty hard. I'll give him that. He, uh, he puts a lot of time into this. He's definitely not a slacker, Rich Muni. And, and I believe he really is trying hard to see 
online poker legalized in the United States. I know he sometimes listens to this show. In fact, I, I forgot that he sometimes listens to this show, and he heard some things I said about the Poker Players Alliance, about the last attempt Sheldon Adelson made to get poker banned with this RAWA bill. And uh, Rich Muni got angry at me. Rich Muni was not happy at all with what I said on this radio show. He also apparently is not happy that he believes that uh, some people are bashing him who listen to this show. And I'm not encouraging anyone to do this. In fact, I'm discouraging it. I, I don't want people to send Rich Muni nasty messages or uh, you know, call him names or you know, be a dick to the guy. Like, I'm not saying this like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, go really do it. I'm really saying don't do it because it makes Poker Fraud Alert look bad. I, I, I don't want juvenile, nasty messages being sent to him. And he claims he's getting some of those from listeners to this show. And I, I want him to know I don't support that. And I really mean that. I'm, I'm not just saying it for appearances. Uh, but he's unhappy about that. And he, on a Facebook thread, and you can say, why am I talking about things on Facebook? This was, he has a pretty public Facebook account. Basically, if you friend Rich Muni on Facebook, he will accept you. And, and almost all of his status messages are about the PPA. So this is really in plain view of anyone who chose to friend him on Facebook. Uh, but what happened was Rich Muni posted a, uh, a PPA update about – he wrote big UIGEA proponent Bob Goodlatte held a 10th Amendment panel uh, at C- C- CPAC 2015, referring to the, uh, you know, the conservative conference they just had. I hope he chooses the 10th Amendment over H.R. 707. He seems to be so far. It's just a, he, He's posting about the upcoming threat from uh, Sheldon Adelson. And he, and someone who commented on that Facebook thread posted a link to where it says, uh, take action, fight for poker, contact your elected officials, a uh, PPA petition. So as a joke, I posted a picture of a red fist that says, take action under it, or take action on the fist. This red fist created controversy around the time of Black Friday when Mason Malmuth decided that this red fist was communist imagery. <laughs> and Mason Malmuth, the owner of 2 Plus 2, said that if the PPA did not take this logo of the red fist with the take action and the stars on it, if they didn't take this down off their site, that he would delete the PPA's presence from 2 Plus 2. And the PPA backed down and took it down. <laughs> That was the end of the Red Fist saying, take action. So just as kind of a little jab to Mason there, I posted that Red Fist as a comment to what Rich Muni posted. Just a harmless little thing, a four-year-old joke to kind of mock Mason Malmuth again, just because I saw the take action or reminded me of it. So then Rich Muni, instead of laughing at this, got a little bit angry. He wrote, so Todd, are you planning to discourage advocating for the right to play until Adelson wins, or will you start encouraging Poker Fraud Alert posters to do more than complaining that others don't do enough for them? So I said back, I can't control what Poker Fraud Alert posters say. The fist I posted was a jab at Mason Malmuth, and I'm sure you remember that incident. I do cover the various Adelson attempts to ban online poker on my weekly radio show. 
So then he says, sounds like a plan, Todd. However, if this passes and Congress continues on with steps to criminalize play, you should think about a legal defense group or something like that from your posters who aren't thinking ahead very well. So he's kind of being you know, sarcastic here with me, saying, uh, okay, yeah, go ahead and take this lightly, but uh, once you can't play anymore, then you're going to have to raise a legal defense fund. And then he also wrote, be sure to bash me on your radio show, though. So... I'm not bashing him. I'm really not. And then he went on to write that he he heard where I didn't give the the PPA credit for the RAWA. He said, uh, uh, I personally think it's irresponsible of you to spout off like you have actual insight as you did when you stated the PPA had nothing to do with keeping the RAWA from passing in the lame duck. Well, I watched the whole thing happen I read the articles about it, and from what I could tell, this did not pass primarily because Ron Paul, bless him, made a huge deal out of conservatives should not be supporting this if they are real conservatives, and stated that this was an assault on states' rights. And Ron Paul, who still has a lot of respect among conservatives, the message resonated with conservatives everywhere. And this really turned the tide to where Republicans who wanted to be identified as conservative were afraid to back this because they would be seen as not conservative by assaulting states' rights. They were afraid if they backed this that their opponents could claim, hey, look, you're not a conservative because you're supporting something that's anti-states' rights. So a lot of conservative Republicans got on the anti-Adelson illegalizing online poker bandwagon. That's what happened. That's why the RAWA failed. That's why John Boehner did not want any part of it. I don't know what the PPA did here. I'm sure they had people writing to congressmen and everything else and petitions, and I'm sure that they tried their best, and they may have even had a little effect, but it was really Ron Paul who did it. Maybe it was 95% Ron Paul and 5% PPA, but it, it uh, it was really Ron Paul doing this. Now, maybe if they could prove to me that they were the ones who gave Ron Paul this idea, if they brought it to Ron Paul and Ron Paul ran with it, then then they can take credit. But I hadn't heard that. If that's true, definitely let me know. But I, I believe Ron Paul did this on his own. But if, you know, if I can be shown the PPA specifically brought this to Ron Paul before he ever mentioned it, then then I can believe they had something to do with that. But I don't really want to debate whether Ron Paul had anything, whether the PPA had a hand in this or not. It's, it's kind of a stupid debate. Who cares? Uh, he is worried that I am being irresponsible by saying that I don't think Sheldon Adelson's attempt to make online poker illegal. And what, what Sheldon is attempting, and this is going to be, uh, a hearing is going to be held on this on March 5th in just two days. So we'll know about it. By the time I do next week's show, we're going to know about it. He's afraid that you know I'm telling people not to take it seriously, and then on March 5th, it will become something real, and online poker, including the legalized online poker sites, will end up being banned. It'll be a federal ban on online poker completely. But everything I've read on this seems to indicate that there's just not enough support. The Democrats don't like it. The Republicans don't like it for different reasons. 
The Democrats think it's an assault on individual freedoms. The Republicans think it's a it's an assault on states' rights. So, either way, this is not really impressing a lot of politicians, and that's why I think it's just not going to go anywhere. I think I think basically they're jerking off Adelson to even give him this hearing. Like they, they want him, they want to hear him out, not to piss him off, not to piss him and all his money off. But at the same time, I don't believe that it's going to get much support. I think he just uh, they're doing this to make him feel good so he can speak on the matter, so he can get his little hearing. But uh, if you want to fight this, then um, I, I, it can't hurt. It can't hurt. And uh, if you go over to uh, the PPA's website, let's see, the PPA.org is their website. If you go there, oh, looks like I have some news. Looks like I have some news, which means that I can't even tell you the news until until I play the appropriate music to do so. Straight from the PPA's page. The postponed hearing. The RAWA hearing is postponed. The Adelson camp is a no-show at the debate hearing. So uh, it's postponed, I guess. It says, late on Tuesday we learned that the scheduled hearing in the House Judiciary Subcommittee on crime, terrorism, and homeland security investigations on H.R. 707, the, so-co- the so-called Restore America's Wire Act RAWA bill has been postponed. So, I guess there's nothing to do anymore. Never mind. I was going to tell you what the PPA wants you to do to help out, and I was going to explain where to go and how to do it, but there's nothing to do. It got postponed. Don't know why it got postponed, but it got postponed. Maybe Adelson's busy with something else, or his people are busy. Maybe, uh, I don't know what, but it's, it's not happening. So I'll let you know when it is happening. That's good news for the moment. But I, I just don't think he has the support. I don't think he, you know, for this to become law, he has to have a lot of support, and he just doesn't. Both sides of the aisle don't like this, and I don't see it changing. I don't see Adelson saying or doing or showing anything that will change enough minds. I just don't see it. It's worthy to note that the two biggest things that happened to interfere with our ability to play online poker in the U.S. were not a result of any kind of organized hearing or scheduled bill that became law. Not that it can't happen, but there were many, 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 many attempts to make online poker illegal, dating all the way back to like 2002. And none of them, 0% of them, became law. The two things that happened were a complete shock and surprise. One of them was the UIGEA, which was snuck into the port security bill in October 2006, The other thing was Black Friday, the bust that occurred to the major three poker sites at the time on April 15, 2011. Neither came with any warning, 
they just kind of hit us out of nowhere, and they just happen. So the the only things that have stopped us from playing are things that were not scheduled. So that's worth noting as far as the real threats to online poker. Uh, Caller, you're on the air. Hello, how you doing? Uh, who's calling, please? Uh, you know who it is. I ain't going to say. Uh, okay, go ahead. Uh, so what are you guys talking about? <laughs> what am I talking about? You should be listening to the show. No, no, I can't listen to the show online. Why not? Uh, so I heard that somebody got sent to Antigua. Someone got sent to Antigua? Someone went to Antigua. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I went there. Okay. Probably a nice place to be for a while. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's I, it's okay to vacation. I went to Antigua in... Uh, I'm sorry, Antigua. Someone got mad at me for pronouncing it wrong. I went to Antigua in... I think it was uh, 2006, and uh, it was okay. I... I wasn't very impressed with it. It was kind of a dirty place. There wasn't that much to do or see as a tourist. Uh, as, as far as beaches, I, I found nicer beaches elsewhere in the Caribbean. It just, I, I was unimpressed. So, have you ever been there? No, I've never been anywhere in the Caribbean. I'm a North Pacific kind of guy myself. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I I mean, uh, obviously, Mikon went there because uh, he had heard that they have... World Trade Organization issues with the U.S. regarding online gambling and figured that they would be sympathetic to his plight with probably pretty soon being a wanted man. Right now he is not charged with anything to my knowledge, but probably will be soon. But, you know, they have their own licensing requirements over there. I beg your pardon? They, they, have, their own, pardon? they have their own licensing requirements over in Antigua for running an online poker site. So, so really if you want to go there and run an online gambling site, you're going to be running into the same issues with an unlicensed site that you would be in Nevada. So I think it's a risk. I think it's a big risk. Oh, good luck to the guy, whatever he ends up doing. Yeah. Well, all right. So and, uh, anything else for us here? That's it. Good okay. luck at the uh, World Series this year. Uh, uh, Dan, I probably won't be seeing you. Oh. I uh, hope to be up north again. Okay. Well, if you're around, you can come um, up to me and say hello. It's going to be a hell of a hot summer here. Okay. Well, yeah. you know, it's just breaking heat records over and over and over every day. Yeah, uh, I, like that hottest is, February that, ever yeah, on record. So. I noticed that. I noticed that Vegas had a number of days in the 80s, which is unheard of in, uh, in Las Vegas in February. Yeah, it's going to be a bad summer um come prepared if you come at all yeah it's a cruel summer but make sure if you show up in the world series you you you, uh make sure you bring warm clothes too because the inside of the rio is freezing well i i hope to be living at least as far north as boise not farther well good luck and uh if you're still around in vegas uh, come say hello to me around then i will but man i want to be gone um So good luck to you and uh, your loved ones. Thank you. Okay. Bye, uh, Todd. Goodbye. So I know who it is. He didn't want to identify himself. I, I know who it is. Uh, some of you might recognize the voice. It's uh, 
not anyone who trolls the show or anything, but uh, someone who lives in Vegas that apparently wants to leave and uh, may be gone by the time the World Series starts. He had an interesting theory that because it was so hot during February in Vegas, which it was, that it's going to be a very hot summer. Remember we had a really, really hot summer? I think it was in 06. Either 05 or 06. It was so hot where like every single day of the World Series was like 117 degrees, 116 degrees. It was over 110 over and over and over and over again. But last few years have not been that bad. There's been hot days, but it hasn't been... I say it was actually below average as far as the heat you'd expect in Vegas. All right, so... Let's go on to the next topic here. Michael Mizraki is back in the news. This guy has really had a roller coaster in life. I always talk about this, but I think it's worth mentioning again because we're talking about Michael Mizraki. I started playing on Poker Stars in April of 2003, and that was really where I broke out. I started playing poker in January 2001, and I started playing online poker just a month later in February 2001. But for the years of 01 and 02, I could not really break out and win. I had some winning months, I had some losing months, but when the whole thing was said and done after those first two years, I I was mostly a break-even player. And uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to be a winner in poker ever, at least not consistently. I made some tweaks to my style, and right around then I showed up to Poker Stars in 2003, and I started playing their 3060 game, Limit Hold'em, which was the biggest game offered on there at the time, and immediately I started doing well, partially because I ran well, but also partially because uh, the tweaks I made to my game were good tweaks, and they matched up well with the opponents I had on there at the time. Uh, in For most of 2003, I believe I was the winningest cash player on PokerStars. Of course, it was much smaller back then than it is now, and the games were not as big as they are now. But uh, I really was putting a beat down on those 3060 games at PokerStars and then also at the 100-200 games when those got uh, introduced in Limit Hold'em. The reason I bring this up is not to brag, but to tell you that in 2003 and 2004 for that matter, or part of 2004 at least, there were two regulars on the site who I loved to see in my games. And you'll be surprised if you haven't heard me say this before, who these two regulars were that I considered to be big fish. One of them was a guy named Neverwin, and the other one was a guy named The Grinder. And they were both unknowns in poker. I had no idea who they were. Nobody knew who they were. And I said, wow, where do these guys even get money? Because every time they sit with me, they play like maniacs and they dump their money to me. I won a lot of money off those two. I was very happy to see them. And I was very surprised to see Neverwin morph into a very good limit hold'em player and a great heads-up player. And I was also surprised a little bit later on to see the grinder morph into a great tournament player which he definitely has become. So these two have really... They really made good on their early days in poker where they were fish. 
And I can tell you from playing against them, they were fish. But obviously they rose above that. The grinder had a ton of success in 2006, but he also had a lot of lifestyle problems. Uh, He had a bad gambling problem. I personally witnessed him gambling huge at blackjack tables and elsewhere and chunking off money. Uh, He had a very expensive lifestyle. He He even bought a bus that he drove his entourage around. He he also paid for and loaned money and staked a lot of near-do-well players who were in his entourage, including Chino Ream. At least Chino Ream's a good player, but some of these other ones, I'm not going to name them, but there's a lot of these other ones who were never winners that he was constantly backing and constantly loaning money that they never paid back. Uh, a lot of people took advantage of the grinder. And there went a lot of his money there. Uh, overall, I, I think the grinder's a nice guy. You know, you look at a picture of him, and the guy kind of looks like an asshole. He kind of looks like someone you're going to meet and you're going to hate, like a an arrogant, obnoxious asshole, but he's not at all. He's very different in person than he looks. This is really a, someone whose personality does not match his looks. And, uh, you know, he's he's a soft-spoken guy. He's always been nice to me. Uh, we've always gotten along okay. Uh, he says hello. He says hello to me whenever he sees me. You know, we're not uh, close friends or anything. We never were, but uh, always been very nice to me. Always been very pleasant to have at the table. So personally, I have no issue with the grinder. I also think the grinder has been generous to a fault with those that he cares about, including his family. He has brothers that play poker that don't do nearly as well as he does. I think he even uh, gave money to his mom, uh, his friends. There's a lot of people who he's given money to because he's just a nice guy and likes to take care of those close to him. Uh, But he has not shown very good judgment. The grinder kind of lives in a bubble. And there's a number of poker players who are guilty of living in a bubble. And when I say a bubble, I mean that they only concentrate on what immediately goes on around them in front of their face. They concentrate on themselves, they concentrate on their friends, and that's just about it. They don't concentrate on what's going on in the poker world as a whole, and if anyone tries to burst their bubble and drag them out of it and show them what's going on around them, they don't want to see. They crawl back in their bubble. Uh, Here are some others who are in their bubble in poker. Phil Helmuth, definitely. Phil Helmuth is is totally in a bubble. Phil Helmuth only cares about Phil Helmuth. Phil Ivey, big-time bubble. And Michael Mizraki is another one who is in a bubble. So Michael Mizraki, you know, he likes money. A poker site comes to him and says, Hey, you've got a big name. People like you. You're a popular player. We would like to have you sign on and be the face of our site or be the main pro on our site or have you promote our site? Does Michael Mizraki say, hey, hang on, let me look into what you're into. Let me verify that you're not shady. Let me make sure that your operation is well-funded. Let me make sure your business plan is sound. Let me make sure that there's proper assurances in place that people are not going to get ripped off. No, he doesn't do any of those things. He says, okay, where do I sign when can you pay me? That's what Michael Mizraki says. And that becomes a problem. 
he doesn't knowingly sign on with sites that he knows are going to cheat people. But he doesn't bother to do his due diligence to make sure they don't. And even worse, when he is informed that the sites that he is representing are cheating people, he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't quit. People told him over and over and over and over again, stop representing lock poker. Lock poker is cheating people. Lock poker is not paying anyone. Please stop representing lock poker. He still represented lock poker. I don't know why, but he did for a very long time. He represented other shady sites. He just seems to be in this bubble where I think in his world, if he's not directly cheating anyone, all he's doing is advertising for them. I, I think he probably sees it like the same way a television station doesn't bother to check into the companies that advertise on their station. They just let pretty much anyone advertise. And they will claim it's not their fault if that company cheats you. But it's different when you're a poker player and you're promoting a poker site. There you are putting your name on it. And when you do that and you continue to do it when it's been brought to your attention, then you are doing something unethical. But I can tell you the grinder is not really doing it because he's unethical. He's doing it because he's in a bubble. And I'm not making excuses for him, but that's, that's just the guy's personality. He's in a bubble. He doesn't want to get out of his bubble. He just tunes it out. He doesn't want to deal with it. So you should keep that in mind when you think about the fact that another site is now attached to the grinder. That is a site called Blast Longer. Not Last Longer, but Blast Longer. Rather than describe it myself, I will read you a short article from Poker News about Blast Longer. Hopefully the Lithuanians don't sue me for reading their content on the air. Subject of the article, Michael Mizraki launches Blast Longer, quote, an insurance for poker players. That's not really true. It's not really an insurance for poker players. Michael Mizraki has announced the launch of a new poker venture called Blast Longer, an online and mobile optimized app that aims to be poker's new one-stop shop for all Last Longer bets. So this is a site where you make Last Longer bets. They're like a middleman. Mizraki's new service offers poker players the opportunity to change the way they deal with side bets and provide them with an innovative platform to place last longer bets with their friends and the greater blast longer community. Players at live events really enjoy placing last longer side bets, uh, uh, side bets, and we realize that if we could bring it to online players, they might like it just as much, Mizraki told Poker News about his new platform. By opening a free account on Blast Longer, and by the way, there's a little link on Poker News. If you click on that, it's like an affiliate link where Poker News gets some kind of commission for it. So they're definitely covering this for selfish reasons. Players can immediately challenge anyone on the site to last longer bets in all the most popular online and live poker tournaments. This is already kind of reading like an ad, even though it's a news story. Blast Longer offers players the ability to place last longer side bets parentheses blasts is what they're calling them, uh, with their friends or the larger blast longer community, he added. The player in each blast who lasts longest in the tournament wins the pot. Each tournament will have multiple pots at different bet levels, 25%, 10%, 50% of the buy-in for online tournaments, and 1%, 3%, 5%, and 10% of the buy-in for live tournaments. 
So basically what you're doing is, uh, let's say there's an online tournament for $1,000. You will be able to do a last longer bet on that site for 10% of the buy-in, which would be 100. You buy in for 100, 250 or 500, you know, 25% or 50% of that for that tournament. And for live tournaments, it's lower for whatever reason, 1%, 3%, 5%, or 10%, which in this case for a $1,000 tournament would be $10, $30, $50, or $100. So you're betting against others in the same tournament that you're going to last longer than they are. So you've got to play. I don't think you can bet on others who are playing. I think you have to bet on yourself. And this is a platform to allow you to do this. They're like the middleman to hold the money. Now... I guess what they're doing is linking you with more people rather than just betting last longer with your friends. You're betting on whoever's on the site. So you're betting with whoever's on the site. So rather than just saying to your buddy, hey, you know, last longer, $100, now you have a big list of people in the same tournament. You can also bet last longer. It goes on to say, Mizraki's innovative platform for last longer bets allows everyone to use their accounts to place bets on tournaments that run on all the major poker networks, including PokerStars, Full Tilt, iPoker, Party Poker, and Winamax. Of course, none of these are in the U.S. Alongside online tournaments, Blast Longer will soon offer the possibility to use the service to place last longer side bets in all major live tournaments, so I guess you can't do that yet, including the World Series of Poker. According to Mizraki, last longer side bets on live events will be launched during the upcoming 2015 World Series of Poker in Las Vegas. Although everyone can use Blast Longer to keep track of the last longer bets they made with their friends and have an easy-to-use online platform to keep everything organized and avoid any sort of dispute, the most interesting part of the service is the opportunity to challenge Blast Longer's community. This gives users the ability to win some large pots with minimal work. So they're, they're basically saying what I just said, that you can challenge others on the site that you don't really know. So they're basically saying... This is a way to make last longer bets without hassle, making sure you, others you know, will actually pay you instead of having to track them down afterwards. And also that you can find other people to do last longer bets with instead of just doing it with your friends. It's not a bad idea. It would have done better years ago before Black Friday. But uh, I'm not going to read the rest of the article. It's just more promotion. But uh, I, I will read this one statement from Ms. Rocky. I enjoy last longer bets because it increases the prize pool and it gives more of a reason to win, Ms. Rocky went on to explain. Now, there's a ridiculous picture of him in the article of him standing in front of something that says, Welcome to the Fabulous Las Vegas, you know, that famous sign, except it's not the sign. It's like the, the sign drawn on a wall. And... He's sitting in front of the sign with, or standing in front of the sign with a large gun. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to encourage people to deposit on a site where the face of the site is pointing a gun at you. I've never seen where a gun is used to get people into a non-gun related business, but he's doing it apparently. I guess maybe a play on the blast name. Like he's going to blast you with his gun. I I don't understand it. But he's standing there with a gun trying to look like a badass. (laughs) But that aside, there's some questions that Poker News does not ask in this article because this is a puff piece. This is an article Poker News is, is using to advertise Blast Longer. And then they have a link you can click on to sign up and then they get some piece of of your action there. 
If you want to sign up, by the way, without the Poker News link, you can just go to blastlonger.eu, but I'm definitely not advertising for them here. There are some questions here. For example, how much of a rake are they taking? They're not doing this for free. So if you make a $500 last longer bet with someone, how much are they taking of the winnings? They're taking something they don't make that clear. Furthermore, they don't make it clear how the funds are held, where the funds are held. How do you know they're secure? How do you know that they're not going to disappear full tilt style? How do we know they're not going to be stolen? Who is behind that site other than Ms. Rocky? Ms. Rocky didn't build it. He's not a technical guy. So who is building it? Who's running it from a technical standpoint? Who are his partners? We don't know. And furthermore, I don't know if this is legal because this is a form of gambling. And I could even see Ms. Rocky getting in trouble by the Nevada Gaming Commission the same way Brian Mikon did last week. It's kind of odd. It's not quite the same as a, a regular gambling site. But I, I don't understand how he thinks this is legal. Is this, this is basically people betting it with one another and the house taking a piece of it. Now, if he ran the site where they didn't take any profit, where they were just a, a middleman for bets between two people, I think he could probably get away with it. But uh, here they're actually taking bets and making money, making a commission off these bets. So I have a feeling the Nevada Gaming Commission is going to have a hard time with this whole thing. I'd be a little afraid if I were Mike Mizraki showing up in Vegas. I'm getting a text that the audio is coming in and out here, but I, I don't see the chat room mentioning this. If, if you are seeing the audio go in and out or hearing the audio go in and out, please let me know, and I'll see if I can do anything about it. But sometimes individual listeners have a problem, and I, I don't want to take time during the show to troubleshoot this for one person. So... Sounds good to you in the chat room. Please let me know. Now they say it's fine. All right. Everybody saying fine. Thank you. Thank you, chat room, for letting me know. So person in the 646, uh, I think it's your own internet. Even looking at the server, it's not even very overloaded right now. Looks okay. So I would wait and see with this. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm not saying not to use the site. I, I'm saying that... You don't want to see the site getting busted and worrying about them paying you. You don't want shadowy people running this who you don't know and you know you have to trust them to pay you. Just because the grinder's representing it doesn't mean he's going to pay you if anything goes wrong. I mean, look at all the other sites he represented that cheated people. So I think they're probably giving him a percentage ownership for putting his name on this and being the promotional arm of the site, but he's not going to be the one physically running it. So just be careful. Don't rush and use this thing just because the grinder's behind it. That's my advice to you. Find out more. Let's talk about Jason Somerville, who has really been taking the poker world by storm. Jason Somerville first became known in poker aside from just being a good online poker player, he first became really known because he was the first gay male who was a poker pro that was out. For whatever reason, 
it has not been occurring to where gay male poker players are out. We have Vanessa Selfs, who's a gay female poker player, but as you guys know, there's much more of a stigma on male homosexuality than female homosexuality. I mean, you, there's a big, big, big industry in porn for guys to watch lesbians. So when guys hear about lesbians, they usually think, oh, wow, you know, that's hot, or hey, I want to watch that, or hey, I want to be part of that. Uh, but gay males don't get the same sort of uh, interest. So gay males, they, they do face hostility, they do face discrimination, and in poker, for whatever reason, they just don't come out and identify themselves. Now, we have a few gays, gay males I'm talking about, who listen to this show and are out, but they're not really well-known players. But Jason Somerville was the first known poker pro who's male and came out as gay. This happened, I think, in early 2012. Uh, interestingly, a few months after he came out, Jason Somerville said that Daniel Negreanu, of all people, helped him, helped convince him to come out. <laughs> uh, I wonder if someone's going to help convince Daniel to... Okay, okay, never mind. Anyway, Jason Somerville has since become much more than a gay poker player. He has a very popular podcast called Run It Up. It was voted the top poker podcast by the Bluff Magazine readers, beating out this show. Jason Somerville is seen as a very workmanlike and serious poker player. People think he's generally a nice guy. People think he's approachable, relatable. He's someone who has really developed a good reputation. And this also shows, by the way, that if you're gay and you're in poker, just come out. Look how popular this guy is. He's the most popular poker podcast. Everyone loves him. And he says, yeah, I'm gay. And when he did come out, he didn't get a lot of people saying, oh, faggot, get out of poker. Like, that didn't happen. People say, okay, that's interesting. First one to do it. All right. That's great. I don't think very many people in poker care if there are gay people at the poker table. There might be a few, but most poker players, when they sit down at a poker player or at a poker, poker table, they care about two things. One, they want to win, and two, they don't like assholes at the table making their experience unpleasant. But if you are pleasant at the table and uh that's pretty much all you have to do to be liked at the table. Each player just wants to win and have a good time there. That's it. I don't think they care very much who's there with them while they do it. I don't think they care if the person's gay or if they're black or whatever they are. So maybe with Jason Somerville's popularity, it will encourage more gay males to come out. I, I think they should, I think people should just be themselves. I, I don't see the point of being a known player in poker and having to pretend you're straight. If you're gay, then say, okay, I'm gay, you know? Someone's going to take that soundbite, by the way. They're, they're going to take 
that soundbite of me saying, okay, I'm gay, and, and play it over and over. So I could just see this. If I were a gay poker player, I would be out. I know it's easier said than done, and I'm not gay, so that'll never happen, but I, I would have been out by now if I were a gay poker player. Probably would have been tough at first, but I, I would have done it. It would, it would have been too hard to live a lie. Especially in 2015 when there's a, a lot more acceptance of gay people than there used to be. But enough about uh, Jason Somerville's homosexuality. Let's talk about what he's doing with Poker Stars. The Poker Stars blog states that Jason has signed on to be a Team Poker Stars pro. It says, if you were forced to slap a label on Jason Somerville, it would be easy to call him a poker player. Well, that's not the label most people would probably give him. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, that's not what you think. You heard Jason Somerville, you think, oh, that's the gay guy in poker. Like, you wouldn't just say a poker player. After all, he's won millions of dollars playing cards. You and most other regular folks could be forgiven if that's all you know about the man. Online players called Jay Carver. As it turns out, by age 27, Somerville has turned himself into much more than a guy who plays cards very well. And because of that, PokerStars slapped a new label on him. It comes in the form of a coveted embroidered patch. Today, Jason Somerville became the newest PokerStars pro. This is February 27th, by the way. A partnership with PokerStars is like the Holy Grail, Somerville said. Somerville is in Beverly Hills as one of our four nominees at the American Poker Awards, Poker Media Content of the Year honor. Why wasn't I nominated for that? Why don't I get an award for media content of the year? I Come on. I, I made a few good prank calls. I uh, What else did I do? I, I imitated a British guy. Uh, I let Judon come on this show. I did some things. Anyway, it will be the first place he will wear his Team Pro patch in public. While that might seem like a glitzy way to introduce himself as Team Pro, the ceremony will mark his final hours of relaxation before the beginning of an epic grind. One of the things I learned in the last few years is that those kinds of relationships are a co-promotion partnership. They're not like the old days where a poker site would put a patch on a player and they would be a walking billboard. That no longer has a return on investment for the poker site. I mean, he's right. Just just wearing a patch doesn't mean anything. It, It never really meant much. They just didn't understand that back then. I used to think it was so stupid that uh, sites would pay so much for just someone wear a patch. That's where the grind comes in. Beginning March 1st, which already began two days ago, Somerville plans to play on Poker Stars every day for 70 days in a row and broadcast his exploits on Twitch. He will do it for an average of four hours per day for more than two months, racking up more than 16,000 minutes of poker content. So, Jason Somerville, starting two days ago, is playing four hours a day on PokerStars minimum, or average, I guess, not minimum, but he's going to average four hours a day over 70 days and broadcast it on video on Twitch. That's pretty dedicated. It's becoming a big thing, by the way, this Twitch where people are broadcasting their play. I personally wouldn't want to do it because I, I just don't like people seeing the way I play. I, I don't want to give up that much information. Uh, I, I just, I'm afraid my opponents will see it and use it against me later. I guess in Bovada it's not as bad. People, people can't see who you are, and the next time I play they won't know it's me. But 
I I still don't like it. Think he, think he gives away too much, but yeah, he's doing it. So, I, I guess the story with Jason Somerville was that on his birthday, I'm not sure which year it was, he's 27, but he got a $10,000 present Uh, is that what happened? No, no. Um, oh, I see what happened. He uh, he started with a few dollars. He didn't get a present. He uh, he started with a a few dollars and he turned it into ten thousand. And then uh, I guess he won it on his birthday. And then he turned that into millions, which I guess he decided to become a pro player after uh, after he got very sick. I'm not sure how he got sick, but uh, he got very sick, and then he decided that uh, he wanted to become a pro, pro poker player because he really enjoyed poker, and he didn't want to die doing something he didn't like. So that's the story of uh, Jason Somerville. He has that Run It Up podcast. He's a very well-liked person in poker. I've never heard anything bad about him. So, well, good for him. He's a Poker Stars pro now. Has the number one podcast. And hey, I'm not even jealous. I may be jealous of third place, but not first place. I've, I've got my eye on the next spot up. Actually... Speaking of that, when I used to run cross-country in high school, a lot of times the races I did the worst in, when we had our races against other teams, were the ones where I started out ahead. There'd be races where I'd start out fast, I'd be in first place, and it wasn't that I like blew my energy at the beginning. It was that I'd start out in first, and then as each person passed me, I got depressed. It's a crappy feeling when you're running in a race and someone passes you. And if you've never been in a competitive race before, you probably can't completely understand what I'm talking about. I'm sure you can understand, but you, you can't feel what I did then. But you're running, you're, you're, on, you're feeling, okay, I'm in first. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm in first, I'm in first. And someone passes you. Well, now you're in second. And you think, oh my God, how did this person pass me? Is he faster than me? Does he have more endurance than me? Am I ever going to catch back up to him or is it just done? as far as that person and me. But then you reason with yourself. Okay, well, I got past. I'm still in second. That's still pretty good. Then the next guy passes you. You're in third. And with each person passing you, you feel worse and worse about yourself. And your momentum dies. And I think my worst race ever, where I finished near last place, was when I started out in first. And yet I had some other races where I did very well, where I started out either in last or near last. I had a race where at the beginning I fell down, scraped my knees up, my knees were bleeding, I was in pain, everyone was way ahead of me by the time I got up because they were, you know, they were all off running. And I said, screw this, I'm going to catch up. And I kept running, and I caught the slow guys in the back, then I caught the medium guys in the middle, and I finished like fifth place. Of a ton of people, I finished fifth place in that one, despite them having a big head start on me because I fell. But that's because each person I passed, I felt good. 
Whereas when they pass me, I feel bad. So, with the poker podcast, I'm hoping to beat the third place. I'm forgetting who it was, but I'm hoping to beat them. Hoping to catch them by next year. I'm not going to have my eye on first till I pass third. Kind of like in poker, when uh, you're looking at the different tables in the room, and let's say you were playing one, two, no limit. When you're looking around the room, you're probably thinking about, okay, maybe I can beat this game, and one day I can move up to 2-4. You're probably not thinking, okay, I can beat this game and I can move up to 25-50. You may have dreams about that one day, but you're really kind of focusing on beating this game and making enough money to move up to the next level. And I think that's the most healthy way to look at it, too. You know, someone is kind of, I think someone's accidentally spamming the chat room. Someone who I wouldn't expect to normally spam the chat room. So I think he's uh, stuck in an enter entrance, an enter exit loop. Hmm. When you get banned from the chat room, you're only banned for like a day. So by next week, you can come back in. Anyway, good luck to him. And I, I have nothing to say about it. Jason Somerville. It's bad. At least not yet. Let's talk about another Poker Stars person, kind of, or at least uh, someone who wrote to Poker Stars. This is uh, Katie Dozier, who wrote an open letter to Poker Stars on her blog. Now, the first weird thing, and I didn't even know this about her, I, I've seen Katie Dozier around, I don't really know her. I've seen her around, and uh, her name is Hot Jenny. Three one four. That's a weird name. Uh, I understand like a guy having a name like that to try to trick people into thinking they're playing a girl. It's not very convincing. Uh, I, I guess I could see like a a young pretty girl having a name like that, though it's kind of conceited. But this is uh, I I don't need to be like too harsh on her, but. You look at Katie Dozier, you don't think, oh, this is like a really hot chick of poker. She just looks like you know a regular woman who's, I don't know how old she is, but I don't think she's that young. I think she might be a little younger than me, but she's not one of like the young hot chicks in poker. She's just kind of kind of there. I heard that she chose the name Hot Jenny 314 to trick people into thinking they were playing against a guy who's trying to trick people. I'm not even kidding. Like it was like a double level. Which I guess makes it a little bit better, but it's it's still the problem with a name like that is when you're a guy calling yourself Hot Jenny three one four. That's kind of funny when people find out the truth, because no one thinks that the guy really believes he's a hot chick. But when you're a girl saying you're Hot Jenny three one four, you can explain later. Oh, I'm trying to you know make a joke out of this, or I'm trying to do like a double level. But it kind of just makes the girl look conceited, and if people don't think the girl is hot, then they just bash her and say, Oh, well, why are you calling yourself Hot Jenny? You're not that hot. Like a you know, it would be like uh, it would be like me doing, uh, you know, bodybuilder tied one five five. Like people would uh, make fun of that because it would look like I'm trying to portray myself as a bodybuilder when I'm clearly not. Anyway, 
putting back, putting that aside, this is what she wrote, and, and it's kind of a, a feminist article, and I, I don't love the feminist articles about poker because they're usually written from an unrealistic standpoint. They're really typically written from a hypersensitive and unrealistic standpoint. And I, I believe there are issues that girls face in poker. I believe that when you're a girl at a poker table, the guys don't t- take you as seriously. I believe if you're a girl at a poker table, guys will sometimes make rude comments to you. I believe if you're a girl at a poker table, especially if you're young and attractive, there will be guys hitting on you and not leaving you alone that way and then getting nasty when you reject them. I believe that all these things are happening. But I often think they go too far the other way with feminism and poker and expect too much and expect too many concessions for the fact that they're just female. So this is what she wrote. If someone were to ask me in chat on your site right now, you mad bro, unfortunately the answer would be yes. I'd like to preface this by saying I'm certainly a huge fan of you. By the way, you is poker star. She's writing this to poker stars. I dressed up as a supernova for Halloween and even made a poker star's jack-o'-lantern. That's kind of weird, actually. If I were a meme... I'd be that creepy girlfriend and you'd be the one I was stalking. Earlier today, I noticed a statement posted by you, PokerStars, on 2plus2.com, which says, The Sunday Million 9th Anniversary Tournament has been moved to Sunday 15th March. The reason for this change is to avoid conflict with International Women's Day on March 8th. (laughs) Seriously? Seriously. I mean, that, that by itself is laughable. Poker stars actually rescheduled a tournament to avoid conflict with International Women's Day. Tell me, has anybody listening to this show ever heard of International Women's Day? What, what is that? Have any of the female listeners, the two or three we have, ever heard of International Women's Day? I've never heard of it. I can't think that many women have heard of it either. I can't think of the women that have heard of it that many are celebrating it. Why would they change that? Why would they change the ninth anniversary Sunday Million? Because it interferes with International Women's Day. That's someone at PokerStars trying to go overboard with being politically correct is what that is. So then she goes on to write, You may be thinking, how could I object to changing the date of a tournament due to the holiday whose goal is to celebrate women worldwide? That's a good question, Katie. Before I can answer that question, I need to ask you a few of my own, she writes. Of the 45,000 or more anticipated players in the event, do you really think such a sizable fraction actively celebrate International Women's Day? Yeah, that's my point, too. Doesn't the new date, which is Mother's Day throughout the United Kingdom, potentially create even more conflicts? Is it fair to those that have already made arrangements to this event uh, to have expensive changes to their travel plans? Because I'm an optimist, I want to believe that the reason for doing this does not involve the concern of missing a massive guarantee and needing to find an excuse to push it back a week in order to run more satellites. Yeah, that might be. (laughs) She's raising a good point there. 
And I think I found the reason. You're going to use International Women's Day as an inspiration to put a renewed focus on women playing on your site. Which is great, because I've noticed some things that made me worry that you might have forgotten about us. Us meaning women. Number one, there are fewer women's tournaments and satellites on PokerStars than there used to be. Number two, there is very limited participation by PokerStars pros in the $55 Women's Sunday. I didn't even know they had a $55 Women's Sunday. Including many weeks with one or zero red spades, I mean, it's like pros on the site, playing, and the bounty on these players was removed. Perhaps, consequently, the field size in the Women's Sunday tournament has shrunk substantially. And finally, the Poker Stars Women's section of your site seems to be mostly defunct and uh, has appeared that way to me for months. Oh, she also complained. Number five, the Women's Sunday final table write-up no longer exists. And number six, the freelance articles for Poker Stars Women, which offered up a unique perspective for many different angles, has also been cut. All of these ang- aspects used to add up to a unique buzz one could only achieve by being part of the Poker Stars Women community. Now, let me stop right here. I was with her on a lot of these things. I was with her that it's so stupid to move the tournament for a day that nobody even knows about or celebrates, International Women's Day, that it was further foolish to move it supposedly to respect women who want to celebrate this and interfere with a much bigger holiday, which is Mother's Day in the UK. Good points. Like, if you're going to move it because of women, don't move it to a date even more inconvenient for women that was dumb. And she even brought up the point that maybe they're just doing this for monetary reasons. Maybe they're doing this to stall another week and run more satellites and claim that they're doing it to be sensitive to women. These are all great points, Katie. But then you go off into the weeds. She's complaining about the Poker Stars Women's Sunday and the Poker Stars Women's section of, of PokerStars.com and, and the write-ups of the Women's Sunday final table. I mean, who cares? Who cares? I have no problem with women's events. But... I don't think that poker sites or poker series, like the World Series of Poker, should be expected to give a ton of coverage to women-only things. I think having that tournament is enough. I think having a women's tournament is a nice enough gesture by itself. There should not have to be a Poker Stars women's section or pros being forced to play in the Poker Stars women tournament. There shouldn't be. And what's next? Poker Stars Black? Poker Stars Asian? I guess we don't need that. That'd be a lot of the site. But uh, uh, Poker Stars Old? For people who are 65 and older? Uh, Poker Stars Amputees? How far do you go with this? You can't have a little section of Poker Stars for every minority group on the site and women are not a minority in the world of course they're more than half the population but they're a minority in poker but poker stars the beauty of the game is that it doesn't matter like i was saying earlier if the people in your table are black or gay or female or anything else they're just opponents so there should be less of a focus on the differences of people at the table and more of a focus on that we can just all play together and that we don't have to talk about or think about those differences. So while I'm fine with women tournaments bringing them into poker, you know, they'll make women more interested in playing poker to 
get their feet wet at women's only tournaments, uh, they shouldn't be expected to market specifically to women. You can say that it would be a good idea for poker stars to do it for their own bottom line to get more women in the game, but you should not take them to task for not doing it or for losing focus with their initial attempts to do it. She goes on to write, Of all the articles, I think I miss the Women's Sunday write-ups the most. For a lot of women, this was their first final table, and being worthy of coverage made them really excited to playing on your site. Well, I have an idea, Katie. Why don't you write these up? Why don't you do a write-up for the final table at the women's event? Why are you expecting poker stars to do this? Do they do a write-up of every other niche tournament on their site? I don't think they do. I think they really only do write-ups of the majors running on the site. You should be happy there was any write-up of this in the first place. And the lack of participation by your pros in this flagship ladies tournament, well, that also makes me mad, bro. The good news is that everyone loves poker stars. Sorry about that cough. Uh, Everyone loved uh, poker stars, women's tone, optimism, social media, and the immense amount of community and can expire. We just need more of it to bring the spark back to remind women how much fun they have playing poker on your site. You have the power to make the next great poker boom through inspiring 50% of the population that's often overlooked in poker. And that is a holiday we all want to celebrate. Good luck, us. Yeah. Uh, I have a problem with this, too, because poker stars... Uh, not poker stars. Poker, in general, just seems to appeal to males more. There are many reasons for this. I'm not going to get into them. But women are aware poker exists. They are just choosing not to play. They just don't have as much of an interest traditionally in poker as males do. Maybe some of this is built into the personalities, the innate personalities of males and females, where males are more likely to be interested. Maybe this is society. Maybe just growing up in society, uh, by the time you're an adult, the personality type that was shaped by the society makes you not as interested in poker if you're female. I don't know what it is. But the truth is, no matter how much you market to women, they're only going to be a small percentage of people at the table. That's just the way it is. You can increase it by a little bit, but it's never going to increase by leaps and bounds, or at least not anytime soon. And furthermore, Katie, if you want to see women in poker increase, then you put the work into it. Don't expect poker stars to do it for you. I think they're already doing enough. Yeah, the Spartan writing in chat, everybody a victim. That's kind of, that's like what I think reading this. She starts out with a lot of good points, like, wow, you're moving this for a stupid reason, and by doing it, you're actually making more women unable to attend this event, and then she goes crazy with this whole thing about not promoting the women's event enough. It's dumb. (laughs) The chat room. The chat room, uh, they... I think they embody what Katie Dozier does not like. Grenada Roger wrote, Why would women want to work work poker to get money? They can make money easier another way. Baggins writes... Games of skill like chess, risk, and poker equals boys. Barbie dolls equals girls. 
<laughs> Desert Explorer writing, poker, poker players equal gun owners, saying that uh, it's mostly males that own guns. That's true, too. Sinner even being harsher on Katie, saying that cunt wants to have her cake and eat it, too. Mm. I mean, I don't feel that harshly about her, but I think she's complaining about something stupid. You guys know I will bash poker stars for anything I feel they do wrong. I won't be shy about that, but this is not one of them. They are in the right on this matter. All right, let me move on to the next thing. I think we're getting near the end of this agenda. Oh, the Aviation Club. This is our last regular topic tonight. Then I'll do our editorial. Then if we don't get any calls, I'll shut it down. The Aviation Club, Aviation Club de France, I think is how you pronounce it. They have closed. They are gone. And uh, this goes back to actually September. I didn't even know about this. But uh, September 2014... 12 people were taken into custody after a raid at the Aviation Club de France at Paris. And that's uh, one of Europe's most iconic gambling clubs that has been open since 1907. And they, they do spread poker there. They have for a very long time. So it's been open since 1907. Uh... The operation was carried out by the Races and Games Division of the French National Judicial Police. The accusations against the Aviation Club are from irregularities in the employment of uh, some of its personnel and then also money laundering. So pretty serious stuff. The Judicial Police would not discuss exactly the details of the operation, but they did confirm that they took 12 people into custody. This is back in September. Uh, Of the people taken into custody there uh, included the Aviation Club's director of the Games Committee, Marcel Francisci, who's also uh, an important uh, political figure, and he's actually close to uh, France's former president, uh, Nicolas Sarkozy. The police were there at around 6 a.m., there were about 50 people in the room. Most of them were Chinese players, by the way. It's kind of weird. But uh, this is what one of the employees said. It's a blow. It's done for us. That's 200 people out of work tomorrow. The police came to close the circle, not for a simple control. I guess it uh, it started as a members-only gambling room in 1907. It opened its doors to the general public in 1925, 90 years ago. Poker was added to the room nowhere near then. It was added in 1995, but then it became the most recognized poker room in France. In fact, it's the only poker room I know of in France, the Aviation Club. Uh, I know that well-known poker players such as uh, Bruno Fatusi have been associated with the Aviation Club. But uh, that happened in September. So what is the current postscript to the story? So we have an update on what occurred. It is gone. It's gone for good. 
at least uh, unless it gets reversed and reopens. The uh, French authorities decided to put the aviation club into judicial liquidation. And uh, they are not going to be renewing the club's license. So that's the end of it. There have been attempts by various people in the game. Liv Bory, Fabrice Solier, Bruno Lopes... Or Lopez, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, and Antoine Sot and Bruno Fatusi to uh, bring the aviation club back with a hashtag they've been tweeting, hashtag uh, bring back ACF. But uh, right now it's not coming back. The tournament director at the aviation club, uh, Nicholas Frioli, Uh, he said, even if in a way I had a feeling this was going to happen, there's always a great difference between the way you feel when you expect to be told about something and how the moment you are when it actually told about it. It left a bitter taste in my mouth, but at the same time, it came as a relief as it brought five months of fighting to an end. He's talking about it being officially closed. Uh, So... He was expecting it. Like, yeah, it got raided five months ago, and he thought, all right, it's probably done. And indeed, it was done. So no more Aviation Club. The legendary casino there in Paris that is right there on uh, the Champs-Élysées, which is a famous avenue in Paris, it's gone. So if you go to France, don't expect to play there. 775 fraud 55 That's the phone number. It's reading the chat room right now. The Spartan is saying, it's a hundred-year-old club. Go to the Muslim side of France and enforce laws. He wants them to go after the Muslims, Muslims there instead of worrying about uh, what happens to the aviation club. The funny thing is I'm seeing people saying, oh, bring back aviation club, but nobody's denying that there's money laundering going on over there. Like, I, I have a feeling it was closed for good reason. Like, you can have warm feelings about the place, but if they were money laundering money and committing other criminal acts over there, then it's got to go. I... <laughs> I hate to tell you, but uh, just because players want to see it back, that's only one piece of the equation. I'm not hearing anyone saying this was a bad closure or they're wrongly accused, which I think I think the silence on that speaks volumes. All right, so I'm going to give you my editorial on raids against online poker sites and payment processors. Of course, the most recent raid that has been publicized was the one against Seals with Clubs owner and former radio partner of mine, Brian Mikon, who ran Seals with Clubs and uh, had his home raided and his door kicked down on February 11th. And then he went to Antigua to start the operation again and to avoid arrest. Now, I'm not going to talk about Mikon on this editorial, but I will say that when he told his story of what occurred, which I believe, by the way, 
I believe his account of what happened. I don't agree with his opinions about what happened, but I agree with his account, his factual account of what occurred. I believe him. There are a lot of people who are in his corner saying, this is awful. We live in a police state. How dare they do that to you? Why are they going after people like you instead of real criminals? Why is this the police's business that you're running in this site? Why don't the police just let us play poker? Why is the government persecuting poker players like this? Blah, 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 blah. A lot of people have the feeling that in absence of victims of a crime, that online poker should not be interfered with by the government. There should be no raids. There should be no busts. They should just leave it alone and let it operate normally. If the players want to play, if the operators want to offer it, if nobody's getting cheated, what's the problem? It's a victimless crime. So say the people who get very mad when they hear about these raids and busts. I heard the same thing when Black Friday went down. Everyone was mad at the government. I'll tell you who was not mad at the government on Black Friday. Me. Was I annoyed? Yes, I was annoyed personally for myself that it would be more difficult for me to play poker. But while I was annoyed it happened, I understood it. Much like when your mom and dad caught you doing something you weren't supposed to do when you were a kid, you were also annoyed, but typically you also understood it. You knew you were breaking the rules. You knew you were doing something you weren't supposed to do. You knew that if your mom or dad caught you, you'd get in trouble. And when they did catch you, You weren't questioning their right to get you in trouble. You weren't questioning that you had done something wrong. You were just frustrated they caught you. Unfortunately, here, people are questioning the government's ability, reason, and justification for these busts. I'm here to say that every online poker room that is operating illegally should be investigated and busted. And you may be surprised to hear that from me. I play on one. I play on Bovada. I can tell you if Bovada got busted, I'd probably be out a lot of money because I, 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 I don't know if I'd get paid. And I have a good deal of money on there. Do I want Bovada to get busted? Absolutely not. I do not want Bovada to get busted. Will I be upset if Bovada gets busted, especially if I have money on there? Yes. Will it cost me money and income if Bovada gets busted? Yes. But if Bovada gets busted, will I be mad at the government and will I feel that they did not have the right to bust them? No. We have laws in this country for a reason. Some may be good good laws, some may be bad laws, but they are laws. When you choose to break the law, when you're living in the country and you choose to break the law, or even if you don't live in the country and you choose to break the law of other countries involving their citizens, you are taking a risk. You are knowingly breaking a law. You are gaining from breaking the law in some way. And therefore, you're taking a risk and the consequence that may come down on you is you getting busted. But even more importantly is that when a law forbids something... Your willingness to break it, to do it, 
gives you an advantage over everybody who doesn't. Here's a very simple example. Speed limits. Now, I'll, I'll be the first to say I speed, too. But when I get caught speeding, am I mad at the police for pulling me over? No. Am I mad at the government for having speed limits? No, unless there's an artificially low one just to you know get people written tickets. But if there's a speed limit that they really believe is safe, and that's what's posted, I'm not mad at them for enforcing it. That's what they should do. But my main point is that if the speed limit is 60 and I'm driving 80, I'm going to get where I'm going a good deal faster than you are driving 60. And the reason you're only driving 60 is because you don't want to break the law. You're following the law. I'm driving 80 and saying, I'm, I'm going to break the law. I'm going to drive 80. I don't care. So I have an advantage over everybody else who has to drive slower. I get there faster than they do. Because I'm breaking the law. I'm gaining something out of breaking the law. But it's even worse with poker because at least when I'm driving 80 and the speed limit's 60, at least the other people driving 60, uh, at, at least I'm not gaining from some sort of lack of competition. It doesn't matter how many other drivers drive 80 or how many drive 60 as far as how fast I get there. But when you're offering an illegal poker site, you are not competing against a lot of people who would be competing against you if it was legal. And that's the big thing. Let's take a look at the SEALs situation. SEALs with clubs offered a Bitcoin poker room. They did a pretty good job offering a Bitcoin poker room. I'll give them that. But if offering a Bitcoin poker room was legal, there would have been a lot more people and companies offering Bitcoin poker. You know what? I would have been one of them. I'm not kidding. I would have offered Bitcoin poker if it were legal. And I could have done it. I had the technical know-how to do it. I didn't because I was afraid because it's illegal. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to flee to Antigua. I don't want to be fined. I don't want to have my assets confiscated. So I did not run a Bitcoin poker room. You, the listener, maybe you have the technical ability to run a Bitcoin poker room. You did not run one also because it was illegal. So by me not running one, by you not running one, by many other people and companies not running one, SEALs had much less competition. And when SEALs had much less competition, they did better. So when you have the benefit of something being illegal to where you're willing to break the law and offer something while everybody else isn't, you have a much lesser group competing with you. And it's much easier to rise to the top and it's much easier for you to profit. So when you were offering these games illegally, when you're bypassing laws against running it or you're bypassing the regulations of having to get licensed and you offer it where others can't, you are gaining from it unfairly. Who is it unfair to? It's unfair to the other people who would like to run it but can't because it's illegal. It's the same reason I always say that poker stars unfairly gain from offering poker between the UIGEA date and Black Friday, from between 2006 and 2011, because they were operating illegally. They gained a lot of experience. They gained a lot of uh, following, brand recognition, got money to put into their software, had a lot of time to 
fine-tune their software and make it even better. While all of the other gambling entities in the U.S. could not do it because they were afraid because it was illegal. So poker stars had a big advantage. Anything running illegally where others are afraid to compete because it's illegal, those running illegally have a competitive advantage they should not have. Therefore, they should not be able to do this without consequence. Otherwise, it's a big slap in the face to those who are following the rules. You always have to incentivize following the rules over not following the rules. When a society incentivizes not following the rules, then you have chaos. And there are societies like that, where the rules are very lightly enforced and the whole place is chaos. You can't have it. I don't agree with the anti-online poker laws on the, bo- on the books, and I hope they go away. I hope there's not more of them. But I'll say that while they're in place, I don't find it fair that others who are willing to risk jail time can offer it and make a ton of money on it. Well, I can't, unless those people really are risking something. If they're not risking it and no one's going to go after them, and, and the government takes the position of, okay, well, they're breaking the law, but we're going to ignore it and let them do that then they're not risking anything. And then it's unfair to me and everybody else who thinks that uh, they really are risking something, who thinks that there is a risk to doing this. If there's a law on the books, it needs to be enforced. If it's not a good law, it needs to be erased. There should not be a law that is unenforced on the books or otherwise it creates these unfair situations where people break it, without consequence and they gain from breaking it and those that want to follow the law suffer. So we are not living in a police state. We're not living in an oppressive country because they are enforcing the law. No. If you want to say that we're living in an oppressive society, blame the existence of the laws in the first place. If you want to say that you don't like the U.S. because we cannot play regulated and licensed online poker in most states, then yes, I agree. But don't say that the police enforcing a law, which is their job, is a sign of a police state. When laws are on the books, they have to enforce them. And if they don't enforce them, the law should not be on the books. So... That's the way I feel on that. Now, there's also some people who say, why can't we just go back to the old way before Black Friday where sites self-regulate? Why do we need the government even involved? They just mess everything up. Well, the problem is we had that. Until Black Friday, there was no significant bust to online poker sites. There were some payment processors who got busted, but significant online poker sites were not busted. And while poker stars generally acted responsibly, and they did have our money, and they did pay us, look at all the others. Look at all the other big ones. Full Tilt Poker stole all our money. UB stole all our money and cheated us. AP stole all our money and cheated us. Lock Poker, who existed after Black Friday and before Black Friday, stole all our money. The self-regulation model does not work. We've already seen evidence of what happens. Just because you had one responsible operator out of many, that does not mean the industry is responsible. In fact, 
the overwhelming uh, majority of these sites were shady and did steal the money or cheat. So this proves that the old model was not working. The old model was a disaster. We don't want to return to the old model. We need protections as poker players. We need protections by the government in you know, under some real regulation by a government that cares, that watches closely. We don't need over-regulation. We don't need crippling regulation with, with uh, regulating minutia. But we do need regulation. So these sites don't run amok and steal our money. So the games are fair. So there's no super users. And in the meantime, when we don't have that regulation, anyone who chooses to operate these games anyway and make tons of money doing so and have no competition doing so or very little competition because everyone else is afraid to break the law, they should be investigated and they, sh- they should be punished. Otherwise, why have the law in the book in the first place? And otherwise, why is it fair to those who are following the law, who are obeying the law? Finally, along the same lines, there are some beliefs that those who offer these games, these online poker sites, are heroes or visionaries or rebels. They're not. Why do they run these poker sites? It's not to make a statement against the government. It's not to bring us more freedom. It's so they can make money. It's greed. Now that's cool if you want to run a business that makes money and you're greedy. That's, that's fine. I, I'm not going to hold that against you. But don't act like you're some sort of martyr, some sort of freedom fighter, because you're not. You're just a guy who wants to make money, and you want to make money because something's illegal and everyone else is afraid to do it. Now, Baggins in the chat, I see he doesn't agree with me. He says, if you're so pro-law, Todd, take your money off Bovada tomorrow. Go play at Commerce or Bellagio and be happy with it. It seems to me the market could regulate themselves, such as poker stars, equals good reputation and not thieves. Let's save the regulation for courts if and when there's a problem. Well, how do you know there's a problem? Without regulation, how do you know? Baggins, could you have told me in 2010 that Full Tilt had stolen your money? I bet you couldn't. How do you make sure that the people running these sites are honest people? How do you make sure they're not criminals that shouldn't be running these in the first place? Would it be much nicer to have a background check on the people running these sites for Americans? Shouldn't there be some sort of clear criminal penalty for this? Shouldn't there be the government checking up on them that their game is fair and that they really have all the money? And shouldn't they be a big enough operation to where they're financially stable enough to where they won't have the incentive to run off with the money and disappear? See, let's say I started an online poker site for my house. And let's say I used my notoriety in poker and the fact that people trust me to get a lot of people on there. And I got a shitload of people on my poker site. And let's say I 
kept my reputation and the poker site's reputation good enough to where I accumulated $20 million worth of deposits on the site. And everyone was loving my poker site. And then one day, it just disappears. And one day, I'm not anywhere you can find me. And then one day, I'm just gone and so is your $20 million. Because you see, I didn't have an incentive not to run away. As an individual, that type of money is huge life-changing money for me. So then I have the temptation to just take it all and run. And say, ha ha ha, government, you can try to find me. But I'm going to run off to a different country and keep this money for myself. F you. Whereas with a large operator, a large company, a company with uh, a gambling license that's worth a lot to them, a company with deep pockets already, stiffing people becomes much more costly. They can't just up and run and disappear. It's important to trust the operators before they're running the sites, not after or during. But look, if you don't believe we need regulation, look at what happened when we didn't have it. Did you know UB was looking at your whole cards? Did you know Absolute Poker was looking at your whole cards? Did you know Full Tilt was stealing your money? Yeah, you knew after it happened, but did you know during? Did you have any suspicion during? You didn't, because there was no one regulating them. And most of the perpetrators got away with it. Sandalmar, who also doesn't agree with me, said the price you would pay for that oversight and protection is too great, neither would a regulator. You know, it's not going to be easy. I'm not saying that you regulate a site and all the problems are solved. If you regulate the site poorly or too tight-fistedly, then you're going to have the opposite problem where it's choked by regulations. That's not good either. But a light-touch regulation program is what's needed. It may not happen, but that's what's needed. But you can't just say, well, since they're not doing it that way, since so far they haven't done it that way, let's just forget regulation. You can't do that. You should reform the regulation process and push for that, not push for no regulation. No regulation is a disaster. Baggins saying, our own police have a whole bureau to watch their asses called internal affairs, yet we still have scumbag, dirty cops, don't we? Stealing will always occur, so you can always have this show. I'm sure there will still be scandals, but uh, we'll be much more protected. Much, much, much more protected. When I play on these online poker sites that are running illegally, I know the risk I'm taking. I, I know that at any moment they could just disappear with my money. I know at any time they could falsely accuse me of cheating and take away my money and I'd have no recourse and no way to prove I wasn't. There's all kinds of things that could happen to my money on these sites. I decide for myself that the amount I'm risking and the potential to make money is worth it to me. It's like a gamble for me. I'm gambling that I could lose this money unfairly, but the upside of winning is too great for me. But of course, I'm in the minority. I'm one of the winning players, and winning players are in the extreme minority on these sites. 
So for everybody else, they're not taking a calculated risk where they're either going to get screwed by the site or win a lot of money playing poker. Most people are going to lose playing poker and or get screwed by the site. So at the very least, if they're going to be losing players, they got to play on a fair site that they can trust. You can't have no regulation. You've got to have light-touch regulation that focuses on the important things while leaving the minutia alone. Like, here's the type of thing I don't want to see regulated. I don't want to see the type of limits they can offer regulated. I don't want to see the type of games they can offer regulated. I want to see the leeway to make minor changes to the software, fix quick bugs without having to go through a whole regulatory process. But I don't want to see no regulation. That will be a disaster. We've already had that. We've already tried it. It didn't work. It just did not work. There has to be regulation. There has to be a consequence to cheating. If there's not, then you see what happens. I had this argument almost... Well, more than six years ago, when I appeared on 60 Minutes, and at the end I said other sites might be cheating, not just UB, not just AP, I had the nerds on 2 plus 2 getting so mad at me, telling me I didn't know what I was saying, I'm creating panic for no reason, that Poker Stars is a very trustworthy site and I have no reason to question them, and Full Tilt is a very trustworthy site and I have no reason to question them. <laughs> And boy, was I taken to task for this, called irresponsible. And I said, look, we just don't know. They could be legit, and they also could not be legit, and we have no way of knowing, and that's the problem. We can't let them self-regulate. And I was proven right. I didn't want to be proven right, but I was proven right. 775-372-8355, 775-fraud55. Let me see, before I shut this down, let me see what texts we got. I see we got some texts here. From the 507 area code, I think a fellow Minnesotan, Eric Ryland is a bum-hunting pig. <laughs> From the 661, is it true that Grinder also signed an endorsement deal with Little Caesars Pizza? I don't know what he means by that. Poker stars should hire Bruce Jenner to attack new women players. <laughs> and uh, I think someone left me a voicemail that I'll listen to later. That's it. Oh. I think that uh, Jay Searles wants to co-host next week. He said, I'll gladly co-host next week, provided it's really him, with time to prepare. I think we'd have a good dynamic of disagreeing, but I'd be sober. So I guess Jay Searles didn't want to call in tonight because he was drunk. But next week he wants to co-host and uh, and be sober. Now, I made this condition for Marty when he co-hosted, and then he warmed around the restriction by drinking during the show. He didn't drink before the show. He drank during the show and then got drunker and drunker until I had to hang up on him. But I guess I'll give Jay Searles a chance. You know, I I give uh, I give everybody a chance. I give basically everybody a chance to co-host the show. I'm not I'm not picky. See if the chat room has anything to say.
Baggins says a losing player wouldn't have too much to, too much on the site because uh, they've already lost it. It's players like you who risk the most. That's true, but they shouldn't be risking anything. The bottom line is I'm saying that a player like me can at least say, hey, I know these sites could easily steal my money, but I take a calculated risk. I, I understand the risks, and I know there's an upside for me. A lot of players don't have that upside. Most players don't have that upside. So you have to at least make sure they have a fair game. X Factor says, Mycon is really trustworthy because he's a Jew. <laughs> yeah. By the way, in case you get mad at me for playing that soundbite of laughter for that, I'm, I'm a Jew myself, in case you don't know. Though I make it pretty public. So, all righty. I have an announcement about next week's show. It's not going to be on Tuesday, March 10th. In fact, I'll I'll tell you a little story before I go. The show is going to be on March 9th. On March 10th, I'll be traveling to a secret location. I'm going to be playing some video poker. But um, let me tell you something ridiculous I recently ran into trying to book a room at a Caesars property. Now, I don't make any secret of the fact that I really try to maximize the benefits of the Seven Stars program at Caesars. I do. I also don't make a secret out of the fact that I play the games with the lowest house edge to earn the tier points that I do. But, I wanted to go to a Caesars property, one I haven't been to in a very, very long time, probably eight years or more, to play video poker. I was going to go for four nights, and I was going to run a lot of coin through this video poker machine. How much? I was going to run coin in of... One million dollars. Not quite. A quarter of that. A quarter million dollars worth of coin in into a video poker. Coin in meaning that I'm literally risking that much. Now, there's no way I would lose that much because it's impossible to lose every hand, you know, that many thousands of hands like, many thousands of hands like that. You're not going to lose every hand. It would be, you know, literally impossible. But uh, I am literally running $250,000 through the machine of play, which is a lot. Even on a, on a low edge for the house video poker machine is a lot. I offer this property the following. I said, I'm going to come in. I'm not going to come out on any offer. You're not going to be giving me any free play. You're not going to give me any comps. So no free food. No free money to play with. No free shows. No free spot time or anything like that. All I want is four free nights plus a late checkout. Which I get anyway. I get the four free nights, not the late checkout. I get the four free nights anyway as part of the Seven Stars benefit. So it's not even like they're doing me a favor. The Seven Stars program guarantees you four free nights at any of their properties given two days or more notice. So all I wanted was that guaranteed four nights plus the ability to check out at like 6 p.m. the next day. In exchange, I would play $250,000 worth of video poker. And there's no angle here. I was really going to be playing $250,000 worth of video poker where the casino has the edge. No angle shooting, no, no 
funny shenanigans. No combining with an offer to where I'm still positive EV. No. I'm going to run it through a standard, what's known as full-pay Jackster Better Machine, which has a 99.54% return, meaning you lose on average $46 every 10000 you bet. But it's, it's usually a lot more than that because uh, there's a lot of variance to it. So if you don't hit a Royal Flush, you, you lose a lot more than that. But I, I was really going to run it through in four days, which is a lot. This is also not a high-end property. This is not a property that is like Caesars or anything. It's not like that. It's a, a property that uh, I get the same room for 140 bucks a night. So I said, I'd just like to use my seven stars benefit of the four free nights and then just give me a late checkout. So all I was really asking for was a late checkout. I get the rooms anyway. Here's what the host told me. I cannot give you the late checkout on the last day. The last day, the best I can give you is a 2 p.m. checkout. I cannot give you a 6 p.m. checkout. It is not possible. I said, wait a minute, don't you understand the reason I need to be checking out late is that during the afternoon on that final day, I will be down there in the high limit room playing your video poker. I will actually be playing your machines. That is why I don't want to check out right then. So you're telling me you're going to make me quit playing your own machines to go check out. And he said, yes, the best we can do is 2 o'clock. Otherwise, you'll have to quit, go check out, and move your stuff for the bell desk to hold. <laughs> I said, you've got to be kidding me. I'm asking for, like, nothing here. In fact, especially because I already get something. I already get these first four nights anyway. You're not doing me any favor with those. Well, then he says, well, not only that, but I can only give you three nights, not four nights. The fourth night, and the, if you want a fifth night, you'll have to pay $96. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. I, I have the guaranteed four nights. Well, our property will give you three nights. If you want the four nights, uh, you know, you'll have to play for it. So I said, okay. How about this? Since you don't have a guarantee yet that I'm going to play, I can claim I'm going to play and then not play and screw you. How about you guarantee if I run this $250,000 worth of coin in, you give me the fourth and fifth nights? The fifth night being so I can just check out any time I want on that last day. Or the four nights plus a late checkout, either one. He said, no, I'm not going to talk numbers with you. Play first, and then come to me, and I'll tell you what you'll get at that point. (laughs) So basically, even though I'm telling him what I'm going to play, he won't tell me what I'm going to get for it until after I do it. I've got to gamble with what he feels like giving me at that point. So I said, absolutely not. Now, this is crazy. For those of you who know anything about casinos, they should be kissing my feet to come in and play those games. Even if I'm going to play the game that has the least house edge, it is still a house edge, and still running 250 k through that machine will make them some nice money on average. Maybe I'll get lucky and win. Maybe I'll get really unlucky and lose more than expected. But on average, they'll make some nice money. They will. So why they can't give me this late checkout on the last day when I'm already entitled to four days with no play, I I had no idea. Now, here comes the dumbest thing. I said, well, wait a minute. So you're telling me you can give me three nights, and then after that, you're going to decide after I play what you give me. You won't even tell me beforehand what I can expect. I said, look, if if you can't give it to me, tell me right now. Just be honest with me. Like, level with me before I do it so I know what I'm playing for. But look, I could call the National Booking Center for Caesars, which is uh, called the CCS. I could call the CCS and book it through them, 
and I won't have to promise any play to them. And they, they probably won't only give me four nights free. They'll probably give me five nights. Because whenever I book through the CCS, they always give me five nights free. So he said, yeah, you're probably right. You can probably call the CCS, and they probably will give you five nights here for free with no contingency. And I said, wait a minute. So they're going to give me the exact same room for five nights free with no contingency of play, and you won't give me five nights, those same five nights, uh, the same five, you know, same date, same hotel, same room, you won't give it to me as a host. You're going to charge me and then look at my play afterwards and see if I deserve it to come off when I can promise play to you. So promising play to you, you won't do it. Promising nothing to them, they'll do it. And you guys both work for the same company. Is that true? He says, yes. <laughs> So that makes no sense to me. So I said, so you're telling me I'm better off booking with the CCS? He said, yes. Now, mind you, he didn't suggest it to me. I suggested it. I said, hey, I bet I could do this and it would work. And he said, yeah, you're right, it would. You're probably better off using them and not me. So I said, okay. I went and did it, and guess what? I got my five nights. No question. Bang, right there. And I didn't trick them. I didn't angle shoot them. They gave me my five nights because the CCS, that's what they do. I mean, I told the host I was going to do it. I'm not trying to sneak anything here. I find it amazing that the host, who's supposed to have the most power to help players, can do less than the National Call Center. I can understand if he can't do more than them. I can understand if he says, hey, you haven't been playing enough recently. Uh, You've been staying a lot of times not playing. Uh, the most I can do for you is the minimum that uh, the CCS will do, or the maximum they will do. You know, I can do exactly what they can for you, no more. I'd understand that. But he's doing less than they can. He's saying, I can't do it for you. You have to call the National, uh, the National Booking Center, and they'll do it for you. But he only tells me that after I tell him I know they will. Before that, he hides it from me and wants me to, quote, uh, earn my play. Not even earn my play, but earn my play at his discretion. He won't even tell me what I have to do to earn it. So guess what? He loses commission. He's not. Nobody gets commission for this because I booked with the National Center. But this is really shooting himself in the foot because if uh, all he had to do was give me a contingent promise of, okay, I'll give you the last two nights, the fourth and fifth night, if you play what you say you're going to play. And if I have that agreement with you, I'll wipe the room charge if you play that much, and I won't wipe it if you don't. This way he's off the hook if, uh, if I don't do what I say. He can't lose. It's a free roll for him. But no, <laughs> he wouldn't do it. And now nobody gets commission. So, yeah, $5 in the chat room is saying that I, I probably used a Jedi mind trick to get the CCS to give me the rooms. <laughs> so, a very weird system. They've got a very dysfunctional and contradictory system at Caesars. It should never be the case that the host has less power than the National Call Center. Never. That's a totally dysfunctional model for a casino. The host should always be able to do more or equal to what the call center could do. Never less. So they've got so many contradictory things going on at Caesars, it's no wonder they're in trouble. I mean, I know most of their trouble is from the debt they got from uh, uh, years ago, but uh, operationally they've got a lot of trouble. Baggins saying in chat, this guy sounds tighter than you, Todd. Shows how much CET, referring to Caesars, may be cutting back if you say you're going to run that much and they don't take it. 
I think they've got an idiotic procedure over there, is, is the truth, Baggins. I, I think this is what's going on. I, I think that they look up someone like me, and they see that I'm in the red as far as comps go, meaning that I've used more comps than I've earned, which is true. I have. And they're like, ah, this guy. All, all this guy does is uh, you know, take more than we make off of him, so you know, F him. But instead of granting the host the ability to use common sense, where what I'm asking for is essentially a free roll for them, where they're only giving me something if I really do earn the money, if I really do run the play, I say I will, uh, they should give them the ability to do this. Instead, I, I have a feeling that they tell the hosts, don't ever promise players anything based upon play, or otherwise they'll just play that minimum play that you tell them they need to do, and then quit. Just leave them wondering what they have to do to earn it so they'll overplay to earn what they think they need, and, and this way they'll never know when to quit. The problem is then you, you don't tell people what they can expect, and they get pissed off. And it really pisses them off when you're acting like really, really tight with, with comps that aren't worth, for, worth very much at all. When someone comes and says, I'm going to give you a whole lot of high-limit action, I guarantee it, and you won't give them a room while they're doing it. I mean, that was the most absurd part, is on the last day, he didn't want to let me leave my stuff in my room while I'm playing their high-limit machines. The correct answer is, if you're down there playing our high-limit machines, leave your stuff in our room all you want. You can leave it there for a month if you're going to sit at that machine for a month. That's what they should say, because it's worth it to them. Every minute I'm at that machine, they should be thrilled to have me in their room. So... Baggins has reported that at uh, Planet Hollywood they degraded their video poker pay tables. And uh, I, I believe it, but not only that, but at the few good pay tables that are left in Vegas. The Vegas is a disaster for Caesars because you uh, stay at any of their properties. All the video poker pay tables are either lousy or they barely give you any tier credits. They divide your tier credits by 2.5 if you play any good games. So it sucks. Bobby Orr saying maybe it's just me. I, I think it's a little me because of I, I'm way in the red in comps there. But the bottom line is it's a dumb decision. It's a free roll for them. They can't lose. And, and I could do the same thing with their national call center. But even if I couldn't, if they tie what they give me to me giving them a lot of play, then they can't lose. It doesn't matter what my past history is. So they, they're... They're tying it to it. Uh, saying Rio has good video poker. It, it really doesn't. If you want to play the good games, you won't earn the tier credits you should. If you don't care about tier credits, then that's fine. But I care about tier credits. Because tier credits are what earns me the seven stars. So, anyway, that is it. The show will be on March 9th, Monday, around 6.30. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to laugh at you. I, I wasn't, that was not on purpose. I, I've used that soundbite a lot tonight, but that's not what I meant to do. This is what I meant to do. So, uh, looks like the server held up pretty well. Looks like everything went okay. I don't know if you've noticed tonight, I've had a little trouble with my voice. Like a bit of a sore throat or something coming into this show. I wasn't thrilled to come here tonight, but you know, gotta keep my commitment to the show. But I'll be back in six days for the
the March 9th show. After that, we will return to a uh, normal schedule on March 17th will be the next show after that. So I'd like to thank my co-host, but nobody co-hosted with me tonight. I'd like to thank all the callers we had, but we, we only had one. I'll thank the textures, though, in the chat room. That I can do. And... Hmm. I usually have too much to say during this outro, but I, I'm out of stuff to say. I, I literally have no more. I, I'm done. Maybe, maybe we'll have Jay Searles next week. Maybe we won't. I, I don't know if I even want to have Jay Searles, but I'll, I'll give him a chance if he wants it. But I, I can't promise I won't hang up on him if he gets too obnoxious. It's got to be a, a, a civil disagreement if he wants to disagree with me. Jay Searles on the forum, he loves to just disagree with me for the sake of disagreeing with me, rather than how he really feels, and it's annoying. Alrighty. Well, I hope I'll have some co-hosts next week. It's tough to do this on my own. And something else you may not have known, I had some dental work done very shortly before the show and my mouth was numb during the first hour of this show. I bet you didn't notice, did you? It was weird. I had no feeling in one side of my mouth while I did this show tonight. Very odd. Good night, everybody. See you next week. March 9th, remember, Monday. Shalom. Shalom.